Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What Are You Doing? Movie Our Movie this week is Silent Running. Go ahead and pop in your DVD or Blu-ray of Silent Running. Press play, press pause when the, for us, second Universal logo fades to black. The old one, the 70s one that says a Universal release fades to black. At the first frame you perceive of all black, press pause. And the second will say 3, 2, 1, unpause. At which point I'll press play. You'll press play and we'll watch the movie together in perfect sync. It'll be like any other commentary to put four friends in your head. Whew. Those friends are myself as always. T. Christie, my friend Brian William Fenifter. Greetings. Paul, Palu, Palu. Hi. And Trey the Amazing Stokes. Hey. It's another uh, curated picture. It's yeah. Curated by our own Trey Stokes. Trey, why don't you start us off? What is it about Silent Running that made you want to curate it? Well, um, it's, it's going to be interesting because obviously all you guys are, you know, young douchebags and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to respect this movie the way you're supposed to. But um, but no one does. So that's all right. But um, but me and uh, um, Joel Hodgson and, and Duncan uh, Jones all respect this movie like crazy. Um, oh, I could smell the Duncan Jones respect on this one when I was watching it. Yeah, really. But uh, yeah, it's like, like, oh, I see. And again, if you've, if you've I get it. heard of a show called Mystery Science, you might uh, be able to draw a line there of uh, what this movie inspired, among other things. Um, <laughs> this, uh, this, I had that actual thought watching it. It didn't even occur to me. That's fine. Yeah, no, it's literally the inspiration for Mystery Science. But um, great. But uh, this is a, uh, you know, just like, you know, others in this room have like Howard the Duck or whatever. I mean, you know, bear in mind that I was 11 when this movie came out. But bear in mind that that was a world that did not have Star Wars um, and barely had Star Trek. And this was like, holy shit, someone's making a thing. With, yeah. like, and, and if nothing else, I mean, and, and yes, even at the time, there were aspects of this movie that were kind of like, really? But you have to look at this movie if you're interested in the you know, sci-fi genre at all and recognize this movie was made in 1971. Jeez. And yeah. holds up, other than like some of the words that people say and some of the plotting, this is, you know, looks and sounds just about as good as a movie being made today in terms of the production design and, and the effects and everything else. Um, and you got to you got to respect. And so so it's really interesting how this movie is is a stepping stone from 2001 to Star Wars. This is the, yeah, this is the halfway pe- mark. Basically. This is the halfway mark. And there's a direct line between those three movies. So and and try and bear in mind that, you know, in a world that was still right, six years away from Star Wars existing, mm. this movie came out and no one but me saw it, um, <laughs> you know, but you're welcome, Universal. <laughs> but uh, but for me, it was like, well, uh-huh. you know, wow, you know, this is like there's nothing else like this in existence and wasn't for another six years. Um, and it's it's, you know, also, if you've seen a little web series called Ark, you might have noticed some uh, some uh, inspiration there. That's funny uh, that I did. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but uh, I think there's just so much, you know, to admire about this movie in terms of what Doug Trumbull and company were doing in 1971 that that. You know, we talk about Alien setting the standard and Blade Runner setting the standard. Look at the standards this thing is setting that people who made Blade Runner and Star Wars and Alien were copying when they when they were doing those movies. If nothing else, it's worth looking at from that perspective. And I think it's overall, it's a very good story. There's it's a very simplistic story. Even at the time, it was a simplistic story. Even at the time, at the age of 11, I was like, Joan Baez, that's a little much, but OK. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was almost just, must be a grown up thing. Yeah, it was just barely the 60s were over and Joan Baez was kind of a thing. So, you know, it's like just like 30 years from now, people are going like, what is with the Britney Spears bullshit and all those old movies? It's crazy. They all they were really into her, apparently. Um, Joan Baez was quite a thing at the time. So, um yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot uh, things that we can obviously say are not perfect in this movie, but um, for a first-time director with no directing chops or experience of any kind, uh, for Doug Trumbull to come out of the gate with this thing, 
uh, is pretty impressive. And if nothing else, we should look at it for that. Yeah. Now, I hadn't seen this one myself, and I didn't even know what it was about. And whenever I have an opportunity like that, I, awesome. I continue to not learn. Perfect. So I just press play on it and just let it be a movie in front of me. And I sort of discovered it as it played out in real time. And it wasn't until after that I eventually was like, how in God's name do those goddamn drones work? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we'll get there later. And I'm, I'm very impressed by what Trumbull did here. Uh, especially for being, he was a young guy. He had never directed a movie before. He had no money, and he was wrangling a really fucking hard movie. Like this isn't an easy movie to start with. Some people start with Garden State. This guy yeah. rented out an aircraft carrier and like an aircraft hangar, and is trying to make his movie for like a million dollars, a million five, and that's hard. But there's also some stuff in here that they they don't hold up even sort of movie wise, not even not like decade wise, but movie wise, and it's stuff that it's interesting. Uh, because it's exactly the sort of things that I would expect a first-time director not to have down pat yet. It's things like managing tone, uh, managing clarity and engagement and things like that, where this movie is sort of all over the place. And when you watch, I watched there was a little making of, like a 45-minute making of documentary uh, on YouTube. And I watched that. And one of the things they were talking about is that a lot of this movie was sort of found along the way. They'd, they'd end up with a, a great set piece or an angle, and they'd sort of build a scene around that. And it kind of feels that way to me when I was watching it. It sort of feels like there's a few like post-it note scenes that were added here at the last second that don't really tie into anything and they're just kind of extraneous. And there's also um, just generally when I was the, the, the way the plot hangs and the behavior and the motivation and the ands, therefores and, you know, buts and stuff like that uh, don't hang together perfectly for me. And I was later looking at the wiki and it's like, oh yeah, the plot for this changed at the last minute. They moved away from a previous story sort of plot line to this one uh, over the course of like like the last part of pre-production and, and Trumbull helped with that and looking at the old plot on wiki I found that I liked that plot more but that's all stuff that we can get to in terms of like ma- like j- managing to keep the six rocks in the air that you're trying to juggle when you know this is your first everything on a very hard this uh, is impressive mm-hmm. as hell but you know there's also some stuff to talk about where it's like yeah and yeah not to mention just Joan Baez every now and then coming in like yeah. hey Hey, I brought corn chips. It's like, oh, shit. Joan's here. Hide the bilateral. Do you guys know about hemp? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, and there's also some goddamn pretty VFX stuff. And it's really cool. I'll I'll eventually cede my time and let Brian talk. And then eventually we'll watch the film. Uh, It's really cool to see one of the things that I was I watched this and I guessed and I was later like, oh, yeah, that's right. It was proven right on the Wikipedia is that there's when he's going through Saturn's rings. I'm like. This looks like what he wanted to do on yeah. 2001. Yeah. And holy shit, is it beautiful. Like the yeah. effect in this movie is beautiful. Like 2001, the slit scan thing is cool, but this is fucking <laughs> rad. Yeah. And there's yeah, a whole bunch it, of other know, stuff like that where, you know, God. 2001 came out in with a 60s, 68. 68. So it, you know, yeah. And they wanted 2001 was going to be Saturn, but yeah. they couldn't stimulate Saturn rings right, so like uh, Jupiter. Yeah, it's also impressive, but it's round and paintable. Yeah, so anyway. Saturn Jupiter is just Saturn with a different paint job and no rings. So this one was like, all right, we're ready for Saturn. We're doing Saturn. This time. But it was also cool to watch this and like unpack a bunch of other stuff. Like, ah, I see the mystery science. I see the moon, and you know, I like these sort of prototypical sci-fi movies from before Star Wars was a thing because it's interesting to look at what the world would have been, but for the interference of one guy and his lack of budget. Brian. I think it is uh, useful to to break this down into two levels because uh, yes, uh, everything both of you guys say about and Trey is saying about the the technical accomplishment, and it's it's hard even. <clears throat> so Trey a while back was like, "You've got to see this movie," and he gave me the DVD and I watched it. <clears throat> and yeah, the visuals make a, a very strong impression. The story did not make uh, much of a strong impression to the point where when I watched it, 
again today in preparation for this, I went, how does it end? I have no no recollection of how it ended. So everything Trey has said about the visuals and the inspiration and building blocks, uh, and then everything you have said about, well, story-wise, it's pretty thin. Uh, and we can obviously get into to both of those. So I don't want to, <clears throat> I don't want to denigrate. I don't want to uh, hold back in giving the, the credit it deserves on on uh, the stuff that it did accomplish. <clears throat> Excuse me. And at the same time, yeah, it's it's uh, we should look at it and go, yeah, this is Doug Trumbull's, you know, his first uh, first his student film as his he student as film. he calls it himself. I think. Yeah, there you go. Uh, had no st- actual storytelling experience, and you know, on the the storytelling side of filmmaking. Um, but apparently he can make you an ATV with shit that he has lying around. <laughs> yeah. And, and his dad's new transmission. Yeah. And uh, the with the the separation shots when the, the things separate and there's actual like yeah. explosive debris, which is amazing. Like you never yeah. see that. Um, to this day, you don't see it. Yeah, you don't see it. Today. Uh, yeah. Watching it again today, I was like, wait, how the fuck did he do that? Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I think it will be helpful to to separate out those two uh, perspectives, those two facets of it as, as we talk about it and, and, and invent some sort of a, a Dern gully. <laughs> oh. This is a podcast. All right. Wow. Uh, Paulu. Ooh. Hi. What is your history with silent running? Had you seen this movie prior to uh, this call to action? Yes, I had. I saw it for the first time, probably five or six years ago. Uh, watched it a handful of times just as a curiosity. And oh, learned as much as i could about it and as a piece of history and vfx stuff or of course, for, yeah, yeah piece of history piece of visual effects piece of oh man why couldn't this have been the standard or at least <laughs> like the first jumping off point yeah, of really. like early movies right like, i mean how different would our culture of entertainment be if it was this and jordowski's dune that kind of <laughs> became what is now science fiction i'm so sick of those ripoffs of jordowski's dune and every other movie that is a weird thing to think about yeah yeah movies where like instead of films that are based on the literal lowest common denominator for all of human existence and our ability to tell stories action scenes and fast cuts no i just mean like the whole hero's journey thing. oh that too um oh, instead yeah, sure. of having that you end up with movies that are actually like have something look while the story is thin the film is still saying something oh yeah and the thing is the, the movie is definitely saying something. it's like and it's fun to see oh science fiction right yeah this is what this um genre was originally about <laughs> yeah really this, like this saying, is science saying things they it's, were going to continue to make movies that no one got forever until star wars and then it's movies that aren't worth getting now <laughs> yeah this is the these are the choices we make as a culture yeah oh well yeah it's a beautiful piece of work they can't all be it. gems cool you're at the point where the second like i said universal logo the old one has faded to black like we are here put your finger on the button three two one on pause universal and we're in oh i forgot about this intro sequence yeah. so it's th- it's three joan bias sequences if you count this opening one right i uh, think it's only two because there's, uh, there's there's two inter there's two musical interludes Sure. Not counting the end credits. Okay. Is there think, a, well, it's two songs. It's two three, songs. three interludes. It's the same song twice. Oh. Yeah. yeah. That's bold. Yeah. That's like if there was two raindrops are falling on my head. Bold <laughs> is one word for it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, guys, come watch my uh, sci-fi movie. It's going to open with a three-minute um, macro-photography yeah, exactly. shot. Song. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying macro-photography. I'm trying to think of like, flowers. <laughs> you know, again, 
I just in in the tiny way that I was aware of, you know, I guess apparently I was such a a, a desperately hungry for sci-fi child that somehow I knew this movie existed, even though one of the problems <laughs> that this movie had is it was not promoted worth a damn. Uh, but somehow I saw an ad. I was like, hey, the thing was robots. I have to go see that. And by gosh, I you know I saw this in the theater. Boy, that's how marketers want it to work. Three miles in the snow. Up yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, literally. And before that, I mean, I'm trying to think of like what even. You know, there was Star Trek on TV, and I was in 71, probably it was already being syndicated, so there was that available. Sure. But, um, and 2001. Space and 2001, which you know, I'd seen as many. Space 99 was much later. Oh, it was okay. late, late 70s. Um, Battlestar is mid-70s, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Battlestar was, all that was post-Star Wars. No, oh, no, yeah, no one right. would touch any of that stuff right. until Star Wars yeah. said, oh, there's money in this. Um, so, I, you know, the, I'm trying to even think of, like, what else... I had that I can even look at. I like, there was like Godzilla movies, you know, and then there was like the movies on the Saturday matinee, you know, like uh, Spider-Man from Mars from, you know, made in the fifties or whatever else. That was like the science fiction diet that there was available. The stuff that would miss that mystery science theater would later. Yeah. That would later. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. So, so this was just like, you know, (gasps) Oh my gosh, I have to see this thing. And uh, I thought it was just, there was actually the only other comparable one, which I think is around the same time. Another movie that I think is uh, great, especially for what it is, is the Omega man. Um, Also early seventies, 71, I think. And it might really be the same, but I didn't see Omega man in theater. I I had to wait a couple years till that showed up on TV. Uh, Andromeda strain that happened. Andromeda strain. Yes. Um, That would have been just before this. Andromeda strain was like 69. Also with effects done by Doug Trumbull. Also effects. uh, That was his kind of almost bankrupt. Yes. he, he, He underbid that one. And uh, almost uh, went bankrupt, as he likes to talk about. But yeah, um, so yeah, there was Andromeda Strain, and Andromeda Strain's good. You know, good hard sci-fi, especially for the period. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, but this thing was just like, oh, it's it's was mind-boggling, and and maybe in almost maybe more so than Star Wars in some ways. You know, for me at the time, you know, at, sure, uh, you know, just kind of like to keep the feed. Oh, here's a the, shot the, from Ark coming up. Yeah, yeah really, right now to, to feed that to feed that. You know, oh sure, I think desire the for this this is this genre. You know, right, it's like right. okay, it does happen. People can make these. These do happen. Honestly, uh, like even though Star Wars gets the credit for what Star Wars did, I think the jump from 2001 to this is a more serious a paradigm jump. shift yeah. than this to Star Wars. Yeah, even though Star Wars is clearly like they're all three of them different movies. I think the jump here is bigger in terms of like oh i thought it was only going to be like 2000 like the stagiest like proscenium long dry like nine hour long concert sci-fi movies <laughs> yeah really the, you know the event you know right, with, oh, like, a, with like a, a program and a, a overture and shit this yeah. is like a little movie with people in it that's fun yeah it, it's it's the shift from like oh it's just this kind of like moving modern art piece i guess yeah to an actual you know movie god i want one of these little things and yeah. they don't exist. And they They're don't not exist. A thing. They don't exist. They made four of them. They his were, da- they, his dad know. built those transmissions. Trumbull himself cast the like thing that they're sitting in. Yeah. And they rigged up that with some wheels they got at a tractor store like that weekend. And these are just the things they made. And they look like a blast. Yeah. Like ATV, so many kids would die with these. ATVs became a thing later on, but they weren't they weren't consumer available. Yeah. And yet. this look, it looks like I mean it's doing two wheel steering on both sides. Like, yeah, like, I know, like these things like could the turn steel, on steel like a tank, you know, like where you can, it looks like you can kind of reverse the wheels or something like that. These so. would be safer than ATVs, I would think, right? Because you're no, center of mass they flip in a second. Like no the only reason <laughs> that those work is because they're on like a very flat, very even surface. Yeah. I guess the, that's true. So there you go. Oh, there's okay. a drone. Hello, R2's grandfather. Um, and I think George Lucas has admitted, oh yeah, totally R2 is, you know, inspired by the you know, the idea that you can have a character who is not a 
a humanoid of any kind. I mean, there's yeah. you got R two to R you got three PO to kind of balance that and and when say was things. Lost in space. Lost in space was later. Lost in space too, right? was sixties, but the you know oh, okay. The, so the, you have Robbie like that's Robbie, but that Robbie is still you know humanoid. Yeah, he's bright. He's, he's got sort of good. He doesn't have legs. Uh, you know, well, well, not arms. actually. Robbie is from. Forbidden, Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet. Uh, the robot in Lost in Space is, a little, is just called the robot. Oh. Um, he's technically he's called B9, but he was never referred to that way. But he has no name other than robot. But Robbie the robot with the with the globular, you know, arms and legs, that's mm-hmm. that's from Forbidden Planet, who made a guest appearance on Lost in Space, of course, because they robbed the back lot of everything they had for that show, just like they did on Star Trek. But, but uh, you know, like It's we, not futuristic enough yet. Do we have a pink cue? Yes. We, instead of just a normal one? Because that's, you know, in the future, <laughs> all sports equipment will be pink. We know that. Easy cue. So, um, anyway. Futurists the, have said. The, uh, where, where was I going with You were talking uh, about the, oh, the, even uh, the revelation of the droids. The, the, yeah, the droids. Uh, is, you know, drones. The, the drones, the idea of, you know, this... This idea of the we we like to say oh Star Wars and the used future and everything, but this this movie started that you know long before then. This not just the used future, but the sort of the practical future. Um, Trumbull Trumbull definitely you know definitely intended to sort of do the antithesis of two thousand and one, where everything is like the glowing white walls and the chrome and everything like that. And he says like, you know it's, it's this is much more of the sensibility that later became the sensibility of like Alien, which is like no, it's going to be like now but in space. Right. It's going to be you know it's going to be blue collar people doing blue collar jobs and kind of cramped little grungy places and you know just kind of wanting to get through the day and it's not going to be all you know uh, like glowy sci-fi stuff so so this idea of like a, a practical kind of this is what yeah this is this is this guy's job is to non-idealized you know, yeah to be these do these things in space um you know i love how like even just like right now when we're recording this american airlines only changed their livery like two years ago like <laughs> yeah. that still looks like there are still planes flying with that logo on it i'm like I didn't realize that it had been around that long, but you know, Helvetica rolls I, deep, I guess. I am so curious about that aspect of this because this is before product placement was really a thing. Yeah, and, and it's just so prominent. It's like there's, well, you know, there's the, that actually, one dollar product placement's shot. always been with us. In fact, uh, look at the length of the special thanks credits at the end because every one of those logos on those hexagons in the storage bay is a real company. Is a is a real company, oh. and it wasn't that they gave the production money, but they gave the production stuff. Um, you know, and it's said, a fun story on the commentary about how um, all of those vacuum formed hexagonal polygon things in the storage room yeah. are um, were all uh, made for the production, but they were paid for by Dow Jones, Dow Chemical, Dow Chemical. Sorry, Dow Chemical. Because Dow Chemical had a PR problem with napalm and stuff at the time. They, they oh, were supplying so. all of the napalm for all of Vietnam. So like, oh, yeah, hippie movie. Yeah. Save the planet. Let's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Here, look good. That's funny. There's enough plastic pellets. What's in those plastic pellets is the question. Like, you're making these hex- weird dodecahedrons for our storage locker. What'd you make them out of? <laughs> napalm. Dow Chemical. <laughs> so here you go. It's all big light. Can't let it match anywhere near that. Now here's a one of the earliest. You know, before this, it was you'd usually see the you know the big silver the big silver Buck Rogers ship would be your spaceship. And yeah. here's the first sort of like you know this is a space freighter that has the space frame and then you hang whatever it is you're pushing around off the space frame. And again, this idea, other than like everybody else, you know, other than how's gravity work? No, shh, no, 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 hand wave, hand wave. Right, right, right. You know, forget gravity. We don't talk about gravity. But other than that, you know, this is like, again, this is a very practical, like, it'd probably be like this. You know, if you're like, you know, doing stuff, this Models is how it works. Ships, um, all Dijkstra, right? Uh, it, what's that? Dijkstra? Dijkstra did effects. Yeah, he didn't uh, build but, the model. Yeah, the, uh, the Valley worked. Forge was 28 feet long. Yeah, the, the biggest one. Yeah. It's big. 
The other, two, big. the other two were just images of that last one projected onto that was all part of yeah. the backplate. One yeah. of the it's Trumbull Trumbull was and was for uh, continued to be a he was a big advocate of front projection. All these effects are front projection, they're all in camera. Um again, he had a he had a million dollar budget ish. Um green screen existed, but was something that, you know, only like serious money needed to apply to even try green screen and you know even the best green screen was not necessarily going to be very effective but uh, so he's very big on front projection which certainly is a way of getting the job done yeah um, it's a little weird it tends to it tends to you know the background plates tend to be a little soft and you know you can kind of dim kind know, of yeah because they just it's just how it is because well, it, it operates front proje- rear projection operates on how projectors work front projection operates on magic like it's an entirely different yeah. approach to solving this well, problem well front projection has to be bright enough to overcome I mean you're obviously balancing the lights with front projection and sometimes you can even see the projection is kind of lighting up the model a little bit if you look really close but uh, yeah it's 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 better than rear projection in, in for this kind of application. Um, and again, it's how you do like your super low budget yeah. movie. It's just, you know, other than, other than maybe hanging up a big black, uh, black background and putting little twinkly lights on it. That's, that's, those were your options. No, that's how we built our Omega 13. Exactly. But, uh, brilliant sphere. Yeah. Christmas lights. But, um, but again, the, the, the sensibility of the, you know, the kit bashing the model and all that kind of stuff is, is, you know, amazing work here that, uh, that's going on. And what's weird is that is how well, I mean, I know these aren't the, just the walls of the aircraft carrier as it were, but like, it's still pretty close and it's amazing how well the nerdy look on the model kind of blends with just, yeah, that's what military hardware looks yeah. like on the inside. Like the inside and the outside both look like that's just a painted conduit box. No, that's actually real. Really? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, uh, that's really they just have a conduit like box like hanging in the middle of a hallway at ankle height. Yeah, yeah. As we were talking about on another, yeah. uh, whichever recent commentary we did, I know where I just I just spent time on the battleship Iowa, which is the most deadly place you could ever right. go. No handrails uh, and shit. Yeah, high dive boards. Just, it's 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 like, hey, you know, this thing is meant to go to war, and and you're lucky if you just survive being on the thing, much less the war. Um, they're not built for comfort. So this guy right here, by the way, I was trying to figure out where I'd seen him from. You, you last saw him dangling out of a, a window in uh, L.A. Confidential. There's that. And for me, the one that I go to is the negotiator. Yeah. He was the uh, uh, well, he was one of the characters in the negotiator. I was about to discuss <laughs> him in a spoilery term, but he was an old guy and yeah. he's not here. And that's how time works. But yeah, you know, fun. And and my, you know, and, and again, the for me, the other two, actually, the um, uh Cliff Potts is the is the guy in the red jumpsuit. Um, Jesse Vint is the is the kind of the hick guy. And um, damn and Trey, Ron, uh, well, who's the dude, bro? Yeah, yeah, he's the dude, the, bro. That's, yeah, that's the, uh, the guy that's in the red Potts. one. Um, and the fellow in the gray jumpsuit who, who went on. He's the one who's the most recognizable. Went on to to do the most other things. So. All oh, the, those were their real names. I thought those were the character yeah, names. No, I'm like, yeah. God, you've been a nerd for a are. long time. All there, but I was nerding that, but there's only four character names to memorize, so it's pretty easy. Um, <laughs> Bill, Buzz, Bilbo, and Buzzbo. And Buzzbo. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, again, these guys, for me, and you know, from, from here to LA Confidential and beyond, every time that he shows up, I'm right. like, oh, the guy hey. from Silent Running, <laughs> you yeah. know, still working. That's awesome. Uh, Cliff Potts, uh, didn't, didn't, you don't see him much else. Um, Jesse Vint, uh, like, like Bruce Stern, did a lot of Westerns. You see him in a lot of kind of Westerns and stuff. Um, 
Yeah, Bruce, Cowboys came out the same year. Yeah, exactly. So and Bruce Stern was having a good year in this 72. movie. Well, a good and a bad year because it basically typecast him for the rest of his life. I mean, this this and the Cowboys basically. Oh, that guy. He's the crazy guy. Yeah, he's the insane bug-eyed guy. That's that's who Bruce Stern. Well, before is. that, he had been like creepy bad guys until he'd this. done creepy bad guys a lot, and uh, and and he did do he did a he did. Uh, I mean, he was in Coming Home. That was probably his most prestigious. And now he's movie. lovable grandfather. Yeah, now he's in a, films like but, but insane and but yeah yeah and uh, curmudgeonly and. In Django as well, isn't he? Was he, in, he was in Django. Yeah. I forgot. Which makes sense. And he's, Don Johnson. He's in Hateful Eight right now, so I guess they got along. Yeah. Hmm. And he should be in more stuff. But uh, yeah, he was he was amazing in Nebraska and totally deserved his, you know, his nomination for that. But um But he was he was typecast before, and although this was <clears throat> this certainly put him on the map, that the one two punch of this and Cowboys, it it typecast him all the harder as Right. You cast him as a crazy guy. Um, he was in Coming Home, which is a prestigious Oscar-nominated movie. I think he might have been Oscar-nominated for it himself. Um, but he played a crazy Vietnam vet. So, you know, the, the trend continued there. Yeah. I've actually researched. Um, I'm pretty sure I know which hangar this is. This, <laughs> is this the one? I think I know. I think I know. I, here, you'd probably nice. know better than I would. Van but nice. is, it, yeah. uh, is it the big hangar that's opposite like the, like the bus depot right there? It's I, not Burbank Airport. It's Van Nuys. No, no, no. Nuys. But like, but, yeah. yeah, but it's up on Woodley, like maybe Woodley and Van Yeah, Owen, I was, something I was like just, that. I went online and just looked. Uh, this is uh, we're talking about the 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 interiors of the ship. Ship are yeah the, the USS carrier, Valley Forge. Valley Forge. Literally, it is the Valley Forge, which is why it's called the Valley Forge in the sh- in the show. Um, the domes are all redresses of the same set over and over again, which was an airplane hangar in in Van Nuys that had been built recently and wasn't being used yet. So it was just bigger. It was as big as a soundstage, but cheaper, uh, and that's why they used it. Um, and that that hangar still stands to this day. And I've I looked on pictures online, and sure enough, if you like to do hangar Van Nuys Airport, you can kind of see if you look at the making of and see what this hangar itself looks like. It's still there. It's it's still an airport. Is this one of the like hemispherical like Quonset hut shaped ones, or it's, is this a box it's one? It's just got a peaked roof to it. It's not a round roof at all. Okay, uh, then I was wrong. Yeah, but uh, hey, yeah, cool. You, you can see you can you can still see that hangar. They talk about it in the behind the scenes where they're like, it's actually not a very big set. We made no. it look big, but it's like forty five by ninety. And it's got to be three different forests in the movie. And there, one of the things they said was, and we think we did a pretty good job of hiding the fact that it's tiny. It's like, yes, you did. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had no idea it was that small. Yeah, those shots, the widest possible shots, of, again, in the making of, it's, you know, the, the camera is crammed up against the wall in, at, by the ceiling. It's as far away from everything as it can get to get the widest shots they can get. Yeah, man. So this 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 whole thing that's, with that's the That's a front production gag. That's what it looks like. Yeah, there you go. You know, so Painted again, it's just like, it's, you know, the the... You can't really balance the brightness, and you can't really balance the contrast. But uh, you know, it's for for a movie for a million dollars. It's that's pretty darn good, and you get it all in camera. That's that's the big plus. Is right. you, you know what you're getting at least in terms of what the shot's going to be. You're going to see it at dailies, you know, that next day or whatever it is. Yeah. Now, one of the things that doesn't work for me very well, and I think it's actually in addition just to first director tone management shit, I think it's also just because his, he was responding to 2001 and he didn't like how people seemed so fucking robotic and quaint in 2001. He wanted them to be like people with emotions and opinions and feelings. And I think he went too far in the other direction because the, the disdain on display here strikes me as more cartoony than even like real humans, but in the future with different opinions, like the, the extent to which they are oppressively dicks. Yeah seems odd and it does and it's and bruce stern also maybe overreacts a little bit just just a hair and and as a result of that i can't tell for most of the movie 
where where Bruce Dern is on the crazy scale. Like if he was just overacting or if he's nuts. And when he kills everyone, I'm mostly on their side. And I'm like the entire time this is happening, I'm like, Bruce, what do you think is going to happen with what do you, what on earth are you doing? What is your plan? And just waiting to find out what he does next makes me spend most of the movie actually bored because I don't know what he's what he thinks is going to happen next and how he's preparing for it. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a plotting thing that that I you know in another draft you know we could we could maybe maybe clean it up a little bit. I think I would go a step further than that and and at you know at the age of eleven it didn't bother me but but it was wasn't that long after that it started to bother me. You have to kind of swallow the premise of this movie to begin with, which is part of feeds into what you're talking about. Yeah. Is wait a minute, the entire Earth, mm-hmm. you know? Okay, the entire Earth is totally deforested. Okay, you know that's and that's a concept that that gets used till to this day. It's a standard science fiction concept. It's something that you wouldn't think would happen anytime that soon, right? Soon enough for people like this who are pretty recognizably us in space yeah, yeah. to to go ah eh, fuck the trees right you know like, it's like everything on earth is extinct and fuck the trees yeah and coupled with the fact that like and what's the logic of sending the last forests into space as opposed to just keeping the domes on the planet isn't that more economically feasible <laughs> is there yeah. a reason why you don't want them to be accessible so there's kind as of much a, of a proponent as i am for space exploration yeah that's pretty much the answer to everything about space exploration. It's like, well, isn't it cheaper it's, just to do it? I mean, it here? you know, we, we didn't give Elysium a pass for it. We shouldn't yeah. give this movie a pass for it either. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's kind of like, does that make sense to, to do that? And, and the answer is no. Not At least the movie gives us, and, and it's probably good that it didn't try and, like, explain how this came to be. Oh, yeah. That was all like, a mistake. You're just like, you know, buy the premise, you buy the bit, here's the movie. Okay. But, but it ties into, like, well, wait, how are these guys so cavalier about ah fuck the forests and the bunnies and the birds you know and all that kind of stuff it's right. like, really seriously you can't at least get the value of why there should be some trees at least in existence still in our solar system um you know especially when like presumably we're hardwired in certain cases to go oh a bunny is cute i yeah. like bunnies like yeah I'll blow the hawk up what the hell yeah so yeah so so i think those two things are connected in terms of like the setup is pretty extreme um so right. and you know and all of that ties into all these character motivations like why you know Bruce Dern is like okay Bruce Dern is going to do what he does because literally these are the last trees that right. exist. Okay, I might get a little crazy about that too. But it's just like you wonder like well how did this situation come to pass? Exactly. You know, and, like and how is these guys how is this happening? And so again, you have to kind of just kind of hand wave and and just buy that. Sure. And and take the movie kind of more as, you know, on a, like a more of a fable kind of a level, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah, sure, once sure. there was a man and there was There's the last Noah's tree. Ark, you know, yeah, whatever. Exactly. Now, th- that's one of the things where when I looked at the plot on Wiki before they ended up changing it around, that's one of the things that I think is explained better or at least dealt with better in the previous, I guess draft if you'd call it the previous draft where one of the things was that these American Airlines freighter ships, they didn't need them anymore. So they stocked all the domes on them and were flying the those out into space. And they were just being domes. They weren't like trying to also transport fucking napalm or whatever. They didn't have any cargo. It was just these domes and crew. And eventually it became a thing where the company couldn't afford to just like continue funding the weird tree domes. We need those ships back because we're losing money every day just keeping trees alive in space. And it was more of a corporate thing. Like we built these ships for cargo shit and we're failing to see why we're keeping the trees. Cause now that we've sent them out there, no one cares. And 
no one cares. It's fine. We can kill them. It's, no one gives a shit. We want our ships back, please. And at least at that point, it's like, all right, well, that motivation makes sense. If you put the, you know, ethical quandary in the hands of a corporation, maybe it's just my 2015 <laughs> brain. But I'm like, yeah, that, I buy and, that. And that and that you're in sync with the movie, too, where it's right. like, I mean, that's that's to me, that was always implied is the fact that whatever the mission was. So it, it, the bean counters have said, stop doing that. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, it, they, I mean, they even say there's a line, I believe, where they say that the ships are returned to active service, you know, which presumably is an actual freight hauling between yeah. the planets is what they're for. They just flank sorties well, back and forth between <laughs> Jupiter and Earth. The yeah. thing is, the Nostromo found something interesting out in LV426. And so, yeah. well, actually, that's interesting. That's that where the plot back. was going. Previously, yeah. the idea for the plot was that they get out here and. Uh, well, first of all, Lowell is just sort of congratulating. He's like, I'm not going back to Earth. Fuck you. I'm staying here. And that's why he does his shit, which is less, I think, less solid than what's in this movie. But while they're out there, he discovers like a signal from alien species or something, something. And he decides I'm going to take my pod to them and I'm not taking this ship back to the corporation. And the corporation sends out people to like chase him down and get the ship. And he's basically just trying to get to the aliens on time. At the last Be- minute, before he, can't. he gets caught. Right. He's got the ticking clock of they're chasing me to get their ship back. They're also coming to destroy the last plants on Earth. I'm trying to outrun them and get in touch with this alien civilization just, you know, to try to just do that. And he at the last minute, it's clear that he's not going to make it in time. He blows up himself and the ship and sends the dome flying towards the aliens who are then very surprised to find this dome full of alien plant life and a little drone that's carrying like a picture, like a family photo picture that was previously taken in the in the plot of Lowell with his drones and his plants. And the alien civilization takes the plants and they take care of them and all that shit. I like that a lot, actually. Yeah, which like in terms of like hanging plot notes, it's like, all right, well, that, that's got more of a framework to it. You can, you know, and there's a, at least a ticking clock in that, which sort of uh, abets my problem with the, with the pacing. Because without knowing what his motivations are or where he, th- where like what, st- you what know, this, his, his whole plan is the question mark, question mark, question mark part yeah. of the between this and profit. Well, you know, I, I, and if you could, if he could call a, it out, I would have less of a problem with, with that. Well, they do call it out. That's, there's shots in this, like there's, okay. Um, filmmaking mm-hmm. through the seventies. And so the, his, like the, uh, this is baby seventies, baby seventies. Yeah. Just barely. The, yeah, so cinematic language stuff that this movie is coming off of like film grammar the film grammar that this is coming off of like this is coming after uh easy rider like the reason it exists because of easy Rider. it exists because fact. of easy rider and we're the other four movies sec, that but, were in the but, like yeah, universal young but, directors but program. make your make your point um but yeah this is the like what's the point i'm making more impressionist film i guess grammar. it's it's more it's not just more impressionist it's just like well yeah we know exactly like if you look at it and watch the shots you see what lowell's motivations are but i don't see what he thinks he's going to accomplish well i think I, he's not, everything that he has done every single action that he makes is in like directed towards the preservation of this well sure ecology. right but i i think the question is what is the end game right, well i exactly. think i the thing is i i'm, I'm that's the thing I'm with that's Paul the, is is the the it's it's yeah brain cramp ah norman coordinate um (laughs) now the idea is that and again plot wise you kind of we're just accustomed to like having more plot and more like okay so blah 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 um this movie does have a little bit of a pacing and and it kind of starts to meander because yes what is the thing the thing is he doesn't have a plan he didn't go i'm gonna kill all those guys and then (laughs) yeah he you know he in the spur of the moment, he made a huge mistake, which is ultimately irredeemable, and that's right. why the ending of the movie is what it is. And the question is, okay, you saved the forest-ish, 
but what does that mean? And what have you really done? And what, you know, what are you going to do now? And he doesn't know. He doesn't have an answer to that. Um, you know, there is no, you know, he comes to realize there is no end game for him. There is no way out of this. Um, the worst thing that happens that brings about the ending is he gets rescued. Right. Is when they finally go, hey, we found you. He's like, oh, fuck. You know, now what do I do? There's nothing for me to do. So, so it is. It he went is, out for a walk. He said he's going to be back soon. Yeah. It, right. it, it has I'm just going to go to to Saturn for some cigarettes. Yeah. I'll just, you know, hang in there. So, so the idea, and again, I think even, you know, I, I, I would agree that, again, it's character motivation. We're back to character motivation. The idea of it's about this guy who, with the best of intentions, did one heinous thing and then just descended into madness after that because that's all that was left for him. Right. Is, is what the movie is trying to be. I just, it, it, they could have, it's all in the setup. I think the payoff would have been no. clearer. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally if they, agree. If they sharpened up, if they could have, you know, nailed that payoff, uh, the setup a little better. I'm just describing how I came to be confused which is that it was not clear to me after like up until he kills the guy basically like in a fit of rage and i was like shit now what and then it, honestly the next step where it's like i gotta kill the other guys it's like yeah i mean i i've seen movies i get that like logic <laughs> drop of a sense. hat drop of a hat he will it's, rock it's, and roll it's that after that I, the movie i would have benefited as a viewer because i would have been engaged in following what's driving his reactions from then on if it was clear to me like well, are they lying when they say there's like no chance you're flying through Saturn's rings without dying like right now? Because when they say that, either he disregards them or he can't help it or whatever. But it boils down to a thing where it's like, I don't understand why he's not alarmed Look that at he's about to do that. Debris. Like, how did yeah. they do that? It's, it's all in camera. It's, it's little chips of mica and plastic and compressed air and. Jesus. All you had to do is like want to so do good. it, which most movies don't think about. And again, very much inspired by, you know, he was using this is two years after we went to the moon. So, yeah. you know, he was using like what? Well, no, what, this is the 71, right? Yeah. So we're still going. We're to still the going to the moon. So what real rocket, what real NASA footage looks like is like, oh, wow. When you launch a rocket, all kinds of crap falls off of yeah. it. Yeah. So to, so to put a button on it, yeah. my thing just boils down to me being more used to uh, knowing what's going on in characters heads and what's what's motivating them. Uh, then this movie goes into. If this movie, if this exact movie, exact plot, exact everything was a book, I don't think I'd have that problem because there'd be prose passages where he's explaining like shit. Um, it's all it's all there though. Like it, it just depends there, yeah. on how you want to watch the movie and how you're used to watching movies. Yeah. It's yeah, it's more how I'm used to watching movies because I didn't want to watch it any particular way. I just pressed play and watched it. And it comes back to you know again that this pro- could have been helped a little bit by a director who was a little more sure of you know of of tone and had a little more grasp. I again I I think glow off of them is that an artifact of the, of the foreground the front projection? Yeah, That's it's fun. Probably the photograph. I never noticed the haze before. Yeah. Um, but again, I th- I think we still have to give Trumbull, you know, young Wonderkin. Tw- he was still in his twenties. Yeah, like twenty five. You know, yeah, uh, which means he was like twenty one when he did two thousand and one. He wasn't. He was late twenties when he did this movie. So like early twenty eight, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, but it's still, you know, for a first time director. Although we have to also probably give some props to the the DP and the editor. We're both seasoned. Um, in fact, there's a there's a the classic moment. If you listen to the commentary, there's a classic moment coming up where the, one of the best moments in the movie, Trumbull admits the editor invented that moment and it wasn't something they shot. But um, we'll get to it. But but, you know, again, 
so we don't know how much the DP had in, you know input because sometimes DPs can be very integral in sort of setting up your shots and sure. so on. And you I mentioned this, the DP had a lot to do with him keeping uh, eye lines and like a lot of the visual content. Yeah, this is this. I mean, Trumbull admits that when he started doing this, he didn't understand screen direction or coverage or anything. He literally sure. came to it. Oh, no, I mean, my things boil down to just nitpicking. I'm still blown yeah. away by his accomplishment. Yeah. So, but again, well, one of the things you talked about, you know, what a crazy, uh, complicated, big, you know elaborate movie for a first time director to pick Trumbull saw it the other way because he basically said I'm going to make it so simple for myself and play to my skill set I'm only going to have one actor to deal with most of the time because sure. the one yeah. thing he could he had no chops at all he knew how to do cameras he'd been doing visual effects he knew how to you know he knew that stuff yeah. technical he felt comfortable he didn't know what to do with an actor. Right. So he said, I'm going to come up with a story where most of the time I just have one actor to deal with. And I'm going to find an actor that I can be comfortable with and can work with. So he and, he and you know, Dern very much evolved this whole thing. But I think it's the same thing. It's like, I think someone with a little surer hand in terms of the actors could have probably shaped Dern's path and his performance and some of those kind of like, that's maybe a little too big there, Bruce, you know. Sure. Um, that would have helped. But uh, you know that's, and I'm, I agree with you there. And and again, I think it all it's it still comes back to there's not this like one little dash of salt that's still needed, right? To to set this up, to, to and then the rest of the plot can proceed as 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 it does. And I think we would have you know we would have bought it better. What are the um uh what are the stories of the writers were, were they well, weird michael chimino went on to create hill street blues and so uh no steven bochco and michael chimino went on to do the deer hunter i mean these are amazing yeah, yeah. writers yeah. Uh, but at the at the time were they was this their first they was early around? for them they weren't yeah. they weren't names they certainly weren't names yeah, that's a good question on the chat room ap crisis like why does he continue to garden when he knows they're about to blow that pot up he's I, he's, he's not gardening he's trying to save some plants oh he's okay. putting them in pots so he can save at least something yeah, and that was another thing that wasn't clear to me last night until after the fact, which I guess is fine, but there's something to be said for engagement. Uh, I didn't, it wasn't clear to me that, basically that he, they were individually going into, what, what basically the the machinations of the plot in terms of blow, getting the ridge of the pods and blowing them up, because they, just something about the construction of it made it seem like every single time it was the pod that Bruce Stern was in just blew up, but then it wasn't that one. And just, it was weird and confusing, whatever. The makeup guy was talking about how he was a painter like recently before yeah. this movie. And I was like, huh. The makeup work, you know, this it's minor. Uh, the, this is not good blood. I'm not I'm not a fan of this blood. Uh, this is very like Dawn of the Dead blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, otherwise, uh, I thought the artificial leg for how it was used was, uh, you know, worked, worked well. I wonder, wonder what it's like to be on a set with a bunch of amputees and bring out the rubber leg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what jokes were made that day, I wonder, on set? That's I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> you to, know, everyone's kind of like suppressing their laughter that day. I hope to, I hope the amputees made the first joke. Had to cut off a guy's leg for a shot um, a couple months ago. Wow, that was is a, that's low budget. It was, pretty, uh, yeah. it was it was it was going to cost an arm and a leg, but I talked him down. <laughs> you can sell the leg. Did you, you can make that really go too. Hmm? Did you need to do a second take? Yeah, we had to get another guy. Yeah, <laughs> shoot, him from the other, shoot him from the other side and flip it. What do you? Uh, our, we our, really should have rolled depart- on rehearsal, guys. <laughs> yeah. We could have planned this better. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, our department just has a, a like a bunch of guys sitting on a shelf, just like <laughs> yeah, just like Michael like Stipe on Colbert's Please, shelf. please get it in one. Please get it in one. <laughs> I'm going dancing later. Oh, jeez. So are these or are these not the same ships that are then you know, part of the Battlestar Galactica fleet later on? They they did show up in a Battlestar Galactica episode. Okay. okay. Um, the footage did. They didn't have the models, but those those background yeah, plates. Yeah. Okay. You know. 
And they and they were and there's now there's a very famous horrible show uh, called The Star Lost. Which, oh, I thought you were going to say Glee. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's also famous and horrible, but um, famously bad show called The Star Lost that that came on TV in the mid seventies, a couple years later, where and and Trumbull, I think Trumbull was involved. All you know, Harvey Ellison created it, but then pulled out because they turned it into a big horrible thing. Um, I think Trumbull was involved, maybe not. But but the arc. It's called the Ark and Star Lost. Um, is it's not the Valley Forge, but it's clearly made of pieces of the Valley Forge, and or is an homage to the Valley Forge. And I forget what the provenance of that was, but the 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 idea that you know because again, Star Lost. I was excited about Star Lost. Oh, science fiction on TV, and even me at the age of fifteen, I think I was when Star Lost came out, um, was like, wow, this is horribly bad. <laughs> this is amazingly bad. You know, it starred Keir Delay, the guy from 2001, and it's created by Harlan Ellison, who took his name off of it, and and he gets to cherry pick so much. Yeah, he does. Harlan Ellison, but uh, well, he, he built it's, he built it into contract. It yeah, was, he it was he's like, credited on it as Cord Wainer. Cord Wainer Bird. Bird. He gave him the bird. That's that's his that's his fuck you pseudonym when he wants to take his name off something. Wow. Um, and yet when he when he doesn't get paid, he throws such a ruckus. He yeah. wants it both ways. Makes That's a documentary right. about himself. That's Again. Right. Oh, Harlem. But anyway, um, but you know, as soon as I saw the Star Lost, I was like, hey, that's the silent running ship or something or parts of it or something because it's the same domes. It's the same space frame. Um, just more domes. Once you've made one of those domes, you don't want to make another one. You don't make another dome. Oh, man. Okay. So the, um, the thing with Douglas Trumbull's involvement was that uh, it was going to use a system called Magicam that he had developed. Yeah. where um, there would be camera on servos where it would do um, a character on green screen and then motion <laughs> control of models captured at the same time. <laughs> That's Live. crazy talk. You That's, couldn't you couldn't do a Hobbit movie that way. I was just going to say. No, no, no. You're shit. shooting the backgrounds live with servo motors. Right. While you're shooting the foreground. That's how they did the last Hobbit movies. Oh, the last ones? Really? Yeah. It, it, to, to Gandalf have, in the, to have with, Gandalf in the and dwarves. the dwarves in the same frame. Oh. Yeah. Huh. That's, that's been Trumbull's entire career is to have the plan before the technology is really capable yet. <laughs> he's, he's done, he's wow. done that constantly. I mean, you know, he's, he spent like a decade developing ShowScan, which was a 60 frame per second projection system that he tried to, was trying to make that the new standard for films. Right. And, you know, it only remained a niche. He did one of the, you know, he did one of the first simulator rides and he did one of the most famous simulator rides. He wanted that to be the new standard for film is immersive, you know, you know, full embryo. It's like, like installation. The, the seats move and everything happens yeah. and it's all, you know, it's like, He's you know inventing camera systems and 3D and projection systems. I mean, he always he always always doing that, and he's had some of the most spectacularly bad luck of anyone. I mean, you know, he did this movie. I think his next movie. He's it's such a cool the, shot when the, when the sun goes behind Saturn. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't directed much many movies at all. Um, I think his next movie, if not, if, he didn't do many. Was Brainstorm, which was a big effects, you know, pushing the envelope effects movie, um, starring Natalie Wood, who died right after production, and so you know he had a dead actress when uh, the movie came out. <laughs> oh, so that man. movie, you know, tanked. Um, you know, and then died under weird, mysterious circumstances because maybe you know Robert Wagner wanted to kill Christopher Walken and it's just a big you know <laughs> that kind of messes, you know. messes up your publicity you know your tonight it's it's awkward going on the tonight show to promote your movie when that's your backstory so and and just he had you know he had all these projects that just didn't go well or got canceled or, or had some terrible thing happen to them yeah brainstorm uh, was his next one after this he had a short yeah, afterwards but yeah, yeah. 
So uh, he did like Tour of the Universe, right? Which is... Uh, Silent Running, Night of Dreams, Brainstorm, New Magic, Big Ball, Tour of the Universe, yeah. and then like some shorts, and then Luxor Live in 1996, because someone had to direct Luxor Live. That's right. But and they didn't have to patent Luxor Live because they did it at um, 48 frames a second, and the show scan patent was for 50. Yeah. Huh. So yeah, and, and Luxor Live was also was was had lots and lots and lots of technical problems because of the very sort of state of the art, you know, pushing the envelope technology they were trying to incorporate in that thing. And it was delayed and it was a whole thing. Um, he was also, but he was also the guy who, when they couldn't figure out how to do back to the future, they brought him in to figure it out. And he obviously did a pretty good job there. Um, and that's my one, that's my one personal encounter with Doug Trumbull was when we were already doing, um, we were already doing Hanna-Barbera and he got the gig to do, um, uh, back to the Future, he came to see what we were doing in Hanna-Barbera. And of course, I was geeking out like a maniac because holy fucking shit, it's Doug Trumbull, mm-hmm. the guy who made Silent Running. And he was kind of a dick. Um, oh. <laughs> and so... Never meet your heroes. Yeah, anyone can anyone can have a bad day and maybe that, you know, there's probably people out there who could trace Doug, he's a dick, and they're probably right. But, <laughs> um, you know, given whatever was happening that particular day. But, um, you know, it's like... I was a little tweaked that, you know, that Back to the Future got, you know, oh, yeah, it's state-of-the-art and groundbreaking. It's like, gee, it's the same exact motion bases that we developed for Hanna-Barbera the year before. But, okay, you know, publicity is publicity. What are you going to do? But um, he came to watch us program the bases and and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, give the man props. He's, he's you know, he's he's done a lot of amazing stuff. Um, he's not as – he's more – he should be more well-known – to uh to the nerd yeah. folks than he than he is um, especially for not just for this but for a lot of other stuff he did that other people then went on to successfully market and and do Star Trek the motion picture yeah yeah so we give him uh, give him props for on his IMDb stuff. it says he spent oh like ten days in the hospital after completing work on Star Trek the motion picture but it does not say why <laughs> I like to the think he got sure damn near killed a lot of people space yeah. flu yeah or something space dementia and he decided to quit directing features after Natalie Wood died because it shook him up too much yeah um, so there you go he's just had a very interesting but he's always you know he, he used to keep popping right back up and and doing something interesting so oh thanks imdb he is an aries oh well that's there you go that, well that's that why he's a dick well. yeah yeah so anyway so this you know this movie we could talk about you know the the tragedy of this movie and that you know it was made um and it was made and and, and uh, paul touched on it earlier easy rider came out and this was the phase when the studio said, oh, all of our big, you know, Dr. Doolittle and Hello, Dolly. Yeah, it was basically a holy shit. We don't understand yeah. these children. Oh, today. my God. We have to make movies for the youth now. And we don't know. So let's get young people in to make movies. And the deal was. God, I miss the 70s. Like, the, OK, here's five movies. Yeah. Everybody gets a million dollars. The deal uh, was Dennis Hopper here. You get a million dollars. Go make the last movie. Peter yeah. Fonda. Here's a million dollars. Go make Hired Hand. Yeah. Milos Forman. You're great. Let's come make your first American movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Taking off. <laughs> yeah. Silent Running. And then the fifth. George Lucas's American Graffiti. George Lucas made American oh, Graffiti shit. for that million dollars. So, so huh. I didn't know anything about that arrangement. Yeah, that was the deal. And, and, the, and the trade-off was, we won't bug, you know, make your so movie. You get to just make your movie. You because fi- you because we did that cut. and they made Easy Rider and that made all of the money. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. But then, we, unfortunately, there was this and there was, back, and there was that. But, you know, Dennis Hopper took his million and went to Peru and did drugs and turned in a completely unreleasable <laughs> movie, which is famously like, you know, you can't even see the movie. It's called The Last 
badass movie. Um, it's just all of his friends stoned out of their mind for as long as the camera's running, and it's just apparently Dennis just, Hopper invented mumblecore. Yeah, just just classically horrifyingly bad. <laughs> you While on PCP, yeah, it's hard. Just, okay, just drugged to the eyeballs. It's very difficult to mumble on PCP. The, the make you look up anything you can find about the making of the last movie because apparently it was quite a thing. The last movie, huh? But um, so yeah, you've never heard of that one, but you have heard of sure. American Graffiti, which oh, yeah. you know, George Lucas went off and made that, and Doug Trumbull made this. Um, and Milos Forman made things. Milos Forman got a shot, and you know, but uh, for whatever reason, American Graffiti was a huge, huge hit, and you know, Lucas got to make another movie after that. Good for him. Um, this movie, Trumbull puts it down to the marketing, um, and I don't, I have no knowledge of how American Graffiti was marketed versus how this was marketed. Um, I was aware of the movie, like I said, somehow I found out that it existed, but I, you know, it wasn't a, there was no such thing as a wide release in those days. Anyway, everything was a, a roadshow release, but. Um, it did really well. Trumbull claims that it did really well here in town. They debuted it here. It played at the Cinerama Dome. It was, you know, it did good business here. Um, Universal, for whatever reason, didn't promote it much in its tour around the country. And it just, you know, I remember it played at like the one little sort of local arty house theater in my in my neighborhood, and I was able to go see it. Um, just, you know, it wasn't a big thing. Didn't, didn't turn out to be a big thing. Other than for the few of us, me and Joel Hudson and Duncan Jones and the five other people who it's, it affected us for the rest of our lives. But uh, George Lucas. But um, you this know, is like just, the Velvet Underground of movies. It's yeah. like no one really likes the Velvet Underground, but everyone who made good music after that yeah. did. Who was your, yeah, yeah. your influence? The 20 people the who liked Velvet Underground of. at the time all went on to become Radiohead. Yeah. So I yeah. this... This is amazing to me. This this concept of like, oh, he's going to reprogram. He's going to basically write new code. Yeah. But their their visualization of him writing a new program is him using a microscope to actually rewire the circuit boards, you know, physically. I I love it when science fiction gets it almost right. It's like, oh yes, a reprogrammable computer. That, but it's that but it's emotionally sense. fine. Like it. No, no it, yeah. It, it, there's a perfect they, emotional consistency. I always took it like he's that, not that. just reprogrammed. He's he's actually hacking them because you know the, oh. he has to go beyond like to make them like deal with this is again it's what we've been we, we, we've mentioned multiple times with R2 is like you're not supposed to interact with the drones. They stay the hell away from you and you stay away the away from them. Right. He's. You know, because he's so desperate for companionship and needs help, you know, who else is going to operate on his leg? He's he's hacking the system to make this happen. I'm going to give this one Minesweeper. I'm going to give this <laughs> yeah, one a Dremel. Exactly. <laughs> I just, but I just love the idea of, like, somebody thinking in 1971, okay, how would you... A reprogrammable computer would be a really useful thing. How would you go about doing yeah, that? Yeah, it's, it's like the concept of a computer that had memory at all was, I mean, you were yeah. 71, you're still talking punch cards. Yeah. You know, so computers didn't have memory, you know, other than whatever you told them just that instant. <laughs> if you wanted to do something else, you would, you know, maybe, actually we probably had tape drives and stuff like that, but the the concept of computer memory was... You know, running a program literally was like, what's the next line? Let me go look. Uh, oh, <laughs> print. Got it. Okay, great. Print 10. Print 20. <laughs> yeah, print, print 20. Go to 10. Huh. So, yeah, it's, it is, you know, there are things that, uh, you know, in any science fiction. So they, movie, had, they had those as RF, right? But then the bulkhead on the on the ships had completely screwed it up. So they had to com- come up with like a wire cable alternative. No, they weren't They were radio. Yeah. They would never have been radio controlled. They, they were, that was a big thing on the, well, on they're the, servos, but they're not radios control. Servos. Yeah. There was a thing on the background where it was either radio or something. Something was going on where like the ship being metal was completely screwing up. And eventually Trumbull had to just pick up the prop himself and just keep his hand out of frame and do it. <laughs> yeah. This, manually. I mean, again, I like this is good, good old, you know, for me, 
It's the fastest it, cutting it in the movie. Inspired me to, you know, to to get into this whole puppetry thing too. It was like, oh, okay, so there's a lot of like little tricky things they're doing to make these guys look like this is happening when in fact clearly they can't do any of these things, you know, with these little manipulators that they have. But these, you know, these actual working little pneumatically controlled thingamabobs that they have. Are what was amazing. the moment you had said that the editor had invented? Oh, real we, quick, we, real quick. We haven't got this scene yet. is my favorite Brewster and acting scene in the movie. Yeah. Sort of his weird, quiet despondent confusion where he's just sort of like he's like so we have some bad news we don't know how to get you home and he's like yeah i figured there'd be a problem with that like and he's, just, <laughs> he's very weird and like deadpan about it and i kind of like it uh maybe it's just because i'm comparing it to him losing his mind and saying that nobody cares but like it reads as real to me um particularly real in the overall movie yeah and yet it's not he's acting in in terms of the concept of the movie he's acting right exactly you know it's like it's it's yeah he has this and again it, it once again it goes back to what you were talking about is is it's like well he he has clearly he's trying to get away you know he knows he needs to he can't just yeah, go he's trying to oh, get the so fuck off. those guys all you know he's trying to get away by i mean he deliberately goes into saturn's rings knowing that that's well you he know, doesn't he so he's pretending that he's like on a collision course with the rings just yeah no but he does no, go but through he them. does go through i know them. he does go through them but he's pretending he's on a collision course yeah he he's pretending he's not doing it on purpose yeah. he's presenting he, he's pretending oh, he's out oh, of control well, yeah but but, but he's literally still doing gonna, it but it's they they they're regardless of if he's doing it on purpose or not their point still stands which is like you won't survive like yeah. it's incredibly unlikely well, that you're gonna make it that's through the thing there. he's doing it i mean that's the, the the name silent running comes from submarines he's trying to evade detection yeah i didn't know yeah. what the title meant yeah. what he's 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 silent runnings when you go dark on you go black on your yeah. submarine and just like turn everything off and make sure nobody can see you hmm. yeah so he's it goes back to what you were talking about it's like well he's he's deliberately trying to get away he's trying to make them think i'm trying to i'm gonna make them think i'm dead right that i went through the rings and i blew up and i'm gonna do that by going through the rings and possibly blowing up but what are my options here but that goes right back to well, one of your options is to go come get me. It's a shame about those other guys. So it's still about the forest because he knows that if he gets rescued, they're going to blow the forest. But so if he that's can blow, why he's but doing all, this. But all he has to do is detach the dome and just not well, make I don't it explodey. That's, that's his ultimate end game desperation move, the, the Hail Mary, to go, okay, well, I'll just send the forest off on its own. Right now, he's still trying to take care of the forest, so he's not going to separate himself from the forest until he's required to. Um, it's still, it does, but it does address your bigger points. Like, and then what, Lowell? You know, then right. you're going to go to Pluto and plant your forest. What's the deal exactly? Um, so yeah, it's a question of the motivation. But again, I, oh, somebody I, should have cleaned the lens that day. Yeah, that's the little, wall. That's the projection. Yeah, um, clean the wall then. But yeah, look at that set. I mean, that's yeah, it. That's a beautiful that, that set. Would stand everything about right the VFX and the production design and the costume design yeah. and everything is great. Yeah. This, Although the round pool table only sounds cool until you imagine what use a round banking surface is. If your holes in the center, <laughs> yeah, because there's only one angle from which the bank would work. And that's the shot that would have gone into the center anyway. Otherwise it's just going to keep going around the outside and never actually, but it's cool to look at. And the machine that they apparently built question mark, just for the shot of a robot shooting a pool ball for them. Okay. This is just beautiful. I just, I just have to point out that's not what flying through Saturn's rings would actually look that's like. True. Can we go over how slit scan works? Yeah, sure. go for it. That's a quite that was a question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. Um, With the, which this is not. But well, uh, you, you get a very tiny hole, and then you peek through it 
and you squint your eyes, and then, and then, you then you it kind of looks you do like, like long exposure over that. Yeah. Although I, I think I don't know what they're filming. I don't know what the element they filmed for the for the fog is because it doesn't. It looks more he tries, substantial. He tries to fog. explain it to Bruce Dern in the commentary. <laughs> yeah, like about ten yeah. minutes after Bruce Dern went on this whole thing where he said, "I've only worked with two geniuses, two yeah. genius directors my entire life: um, Hitchcock and Doug Trumbull." And then he goes off about like, well, Doug's just amazing at making really complicated things and uh, breaking it down and making them seem really simple. And that's and a, then he failed it. That's yeah. a learned act. And then yeah, guess, like, this my, happens and he goes, what'd you do? He goes, oh boy. Well, yeah, it looks it's like it's technical. a double exposure. It looks like it's just a shot of the ship shaking in front of a black background. And then they overexpose yeah. that with a secondary thing of the whatever the fog element is pushing the camera through that just lighted fog machine i don't think it's really fog though because it looks fog. more substantial than fog yeah it's um it's got some yeah some blur I think to it's it. like maybe crank, it's a crinkled sl- up stuff that yeah, is like yeah spinning, maybe, maybe it's, it's just a really with... sl- like like slow shutter speed slow mo push through crinkly cellophane and he just pulls it out of the way of the lens it's an the last advanced second. it's an advanced slit scan thing so i think it involves um yeah, it spinning like... it's um like on a really slow servo you're spinning this um like, like this crinkled up like either like tissue paper or clear plastic something um you're spinning that while doing a slow exposure slit scan so you're doing the slit scan so down can, okay. while you're spinning the sure. element and you just end up getting these really ghosty huh. crazy okay i can see that elements and I mean, then i yeah switching to the practical side of it the, you know again this this section here where he's in the control room um as trumbull points out in the commentary is like this is an aircraft carrier nothing is actually shaking <laughs> you can't shake an aircraft carrier so so you know all of this attention to detail where they've got monofilament pulling all the chairs back and forth and they've got squibs going off and all the screens are going nuts i mean this is all pra- completely practical you know and, and just the just the attention to detail that you know you look at you look at movies to this day who are like oh we're breaking up and it's just people shaking back and forth in their chairs i mean you know star trek didn't do as good a job of <laughs> oh we're on a ship that's shaking really hard as as this movie did there's that that one particular sort of round striated looking screen that they it's in basically it's a big foreground viewfinder the big blue one with circles on it looks exactly like a lot of the background screens in star wars yeah uh, and it's a very particular version of weird useless background techno babble art direction but it's like I guess George saw it or the same dude maybe it was Dykstra or someone but it's like it's very clear yeah exactly it's a very clearly like that's the same weird made up abstraction as in Star Wars it looks to me it always looks like a radar screen that doesn't sweep sure radar screen that's just just always broadcasting in all directions yeah man now one of the things that that was I don't know if the context is the same because now you know this now you guys were born in a post R2 world but one of the things in this movie, I don't know if you got this from watching this movie the way that we did back in the day, but this movie, we were much more in the era of robots and the Faustian myth of anything without a soul is going to be evil and it's going to kill you. And we were waiting this whole movie for the droids to kill him. The droids were clearly evil and planning something and they were going to do something terrible. Especially and, with the 2001 parallel. Where yeah. It's like, the, you know, well, yeah, these are clearly the this incarnation of hell. That yeah. was something of the 70s, right? Because the great it's something belief of, after the technolo- like the uh, industrial revolution was like technology will solve all of our problems. And then you get through World Wars yeah. 1 and 2. Technology and just is go, all of our problems. Technology only exacerbates I still, the realities I still think of it and the misery that, of human you know, It goes nature. back to Frankenstein and before that. It's the Faustian thing. It's like you can't create life. That's God's job. If you create life, it will be evil. It will have no soul. Um, that that's just how we think of things. If you try, you'll be punished for it. You'll be punished it. for it because you're messing with God's stuff. You can't make something that's alive. 
Um, Ditch witch. Yeah. So yeah, definitely thought that said something else first. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this, I feel bad for that. Wait, I'm going to haul that guy backwards while walking on my seriously while wearing a 20 pound plastic. Okay, sure. I'm in the movies. Damn. But uh, walking on. His didn't hands. even think about that. Yeah. But because um, I don't see no wire, you know, hiding anywhere. Maybe they were helping him out. They're somehow, all but. super, super buff. Yeah, no, I know. It's just you got to be to be walking around your hands. It's a anyway, dude. the 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 idea that you know this, and it's the movie plays to that where you know it has those little interim moments where the rope, the drones are are having a little chat. It turns out it's completely benign. You know that they're completely harmless and and benign and aren't planning anything evil at all because they're not evil. Um, that was kind of weird and kind of surprising. It's like, wow, I guess the drones were okay then, even though they're robots and they're supposed to turn evil and kill you, because um, that's what robots do, right? Apparently. So, you really got to save on the stock to do one of the most emotional moments in the movie. With the yeah, really. Super blown soft. Tape. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a, There's couple, a couple moments like that in the movie, too. Yeah, but I like it. I think it works. Soft. They did like two takes of everything with people in yeah. it, and then like a dozen takes of everything with characters in it. The weird thing about this movie, you have to kind of think this, this movie is an asylum film. I mean, you know, a director with no experience and, <laughs> you know, a, a, an ambition way beyond its budget. And, you know, a tiny sh- a short shooting schedule. And, and a character actor who's usually known as being a weirdo. Yeah, and and, and shot on an aircraft carrier on a decommissioned uh, battleship, which I just did for, you know, everyone does for asylum now. We shoot on the Iowa here locally in town. Um, and uniformly produced with blood money. Which is right down the way from where this was shot because the, uh, the Valley Forge was in Long Beach Harbor at the time waiting to be cut up for scrap. Um, along mm-hmm. with two other aircraft carriers. At the time, there were three aircraft carriers sitting there waiting to be cut up for scrap, um, which must be a pretty amazing sight to see yeah. uh, three aircraft carriers. Just, oh, look, three aircraft carriers. Um, I'd love to see that time lapse with the guys just taking like yeah. arc welders and just splitting off just giant... Just cutting up a, cutting up a pieces of, carrier. And it... Uh, Maybe they dry dock it because it would start to sink the second you start tearing it yeah, apart. Yeah, there's a point where you, <laughs> yeah, have, to, you have to. I would imagine. Um, <laughs> Just start from the top, John. Yeah. Okay, do it's, the keel last. It's listing. Yeah. What now? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, actually, the, there was, that's why there was three of them. First, <laughs> I was like, okay. Care, next one we start from the top. Then. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought starting from the bottom would make more sense, but it just. Uh, All right. What about start from the front? We'll compromise. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start, start from the pointy end and work our way back. <laughs> That'll be fine. Hmm. Speaking of giant ships, I was just in Key West over the holidays, and one of the things that was interesting is like you know we 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 mostly just like ate at like the restaurants, just yeah hey, you know the place the fish whatever. But there was one night we're like we're going to a nice restaurant. There's a beautiful sunset view and all that shit. And we get there, we've had this reservation for eight months, and it didn't occur to anyone, including the restaurant, to mention the possibility that most nights there's a giant cruise ship right there, like between you and the sky. <laughs> like you're looking out of the patio just at like the C and part of the A in the carnival logo. Just like, oh, this is lovely. And you can tell just from the ambient light that it's, oh, the sun has gone down now. This was magical. <laughs> I'll have green beans, I guess. And we were just sitting, but over the course of that whole time, we were sitting next to all these just giant cruise ships. And as someone who has never been on a cruise, but just being around cruise ships, you go, Jesus, these are fucking big. And I got into the Hobbit, uh, the Hobbit. I got really into the Hobbit. It was a long week. Yeah, <laughs> like you do. I got into the habit of checking Wiki to look at like the history of these ships and see how you know big they were and all that shit. And I started just reporting back to our 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 I don't know our forte the um our cadre. Sorry, wrong word. Yeah. Our cadre. cadre. Uh, how big these ships were in the Universal Titanic metric? Yeah, oh yeah. Which is like oh this is point nine of a Titanic long, but it's actually one and a half Titanics tall and shit like that. And that 
it just contextualizes the whole Titanic thing, and it was a very interesting experience I had looking at big ships for a while. And the what I recently, the data I saw recently was like things like the you know the Costa Concordia obviously is a famous one right now for the wrong reasons, but those things are far beyond bigger than the yeah. Titanic. Yeah, they're, they're, they're much much like bigger. Disney Magic and Disney Dream, I think, are the two bigger of the two Disney just four ships, and they insanely are insanely larger. Yeah, than there's the Titanic. one. There's like, a new one called. Um, Meaningfully oh, bigger. Shit. Like next to them, it would be like the Super Star Destroyer and the Star Destroyer. It's like that's a very, very large ship. The the, the newest one is like the Oceana or Ocean something or other, and it's just massive. It's like it, yeah. It's like the Empire State Building on its side, but practically. Yeah, but those like average giant cruise ships are about the size of the Titanic, maybe a little bit smaller generally. But then like the big cruise ships that also exist are like substantially bigger. And right. it's nuts to be standing next to them because it's like it was a building. Like there was a building on the skyline that wasn't there yesterday sort of thing where it's like, yeah. what is that? That's a boat. <laughs> yeah. It's on the other side of the island behind yeah. buildings and it's a building. And tomorrow it's going to go away again. Right. Yeah. It's going to leave. It's my uh, my mom actually just happened to board a cruise uh, ship today, as a matter of fact. Uh, so I drove her. She flew into L.A. and I drove her down to San Diego uh, yesterday. And she was telling me. The story, and she can't remember the name of it, but the story of some cruise ship that like started taking on water or some, you know, something was in distress. And instead of actually doing anything meaningful, the crew just fucked off. <laughs> they I was the one who told you that story. Oh, were you? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, wow. it's a famous My story. My memory is the, awful. The ship yeah. went up on a sandbar and the captain left. No, this, this one was one that was sinking and listing. And the, oh. cap, and the crew the crew jumped in the first light boat and took off. And the captain hid. He didn't get into the lifeboat, but he hid for the entire emergency. Huh. And and the guitarist who played in the cabaret went up and got on the radio and, and <laughs> called it in, to, leading to the great punchline of you know the fact that he didn't know what to say on the radio. And they said, what's your rank? And he said, guitarist, <laughs> because the entire crew had vanished we're all fine here yeah now how are you well that's that's goddamn alarming trey thank yeah, you yeah i know that's it's as if as if you know being so when you look at things like the Costa Concordia, it was the same thing the captain kind of like what did they get he's on trial or will be on trial for you know messing that one up severely and the Costa Concordia is one of those massive massive ones it literally is on the scale of the world trade center i mean you yeah. know it's a, it's a disaster on the scale of the world trade center what happened to the Costa Concordia? it's just that they only lost 30 some people instead of everybody but it could have been thousands of people if everyone had died in that thing Anyway, back to this talking about shipwrecks and stuff. Talking about these arcs. <laughs> uh, a friend had to go get a prop or something from one of those strange nondescript warehouses deep in the, in the valley. valley that yeah. are yeah. just yeah. full of Up every prop. They're amazing when you go, yeah. oh, look at that's the And dead. they're called like Corpse Sun or something. And it's just like, yeah. what are you doing? He, found, a, he found the Titan- <laughs> the model of the, the biggest model of the Titanic from Titanic. Nice. He was just chilling up there. Because I guess, uh, Trey, is there a point where... Um, depending on how much it costs to build a model, it's cheaper to just keep it in storage for the rest of eternity instead of yeah, well, breaking it down yeah, again in case you was, ever need it. When uh, there was a company, a huge prop rental company a couple of years ago that went out of business and they had in their in their parking lot, they had a massive, it was from some TV miniseries as I recall, huge battleship model that was the size of a, you know, it was the size of a like a small boat. Like, yeah, it yeah. was it was you know bigger than an average trailer, and it was like it was like wow, this is really handy if someone needs a battleship. Right. Here it is, 
and they couldn't but no one could go i'll okay i'll keep that battleship until right. someone needs a battleship but yeah you kind of go wow we have an actual titanic model we should probably hang on to that because right. the titanic probably will be in another movie again someday i always thought like there must be somewhere in hollywood i don't know of one but i'm sure one exists just a standing oval office set oh, oh there's, yeah. se- there's several yeah. yeah there's more than one makes sense because it's like that's the, that's why the, that's the weird part is they build it they keep building it Hmm. You know, West Wing had one, but then, you know, uh, the, that, uh, there was a TV show just recently, but that there's a couple that are that, but they, sometimes they build it again, weirdly enough. And the, uh, that same prop house, uh, had that, that battles are thing. And they also had a full size world war two era submarine in two pieces yes. on the other side of the parking yeah. lot. That was, we were scouting it for Moby Dick cause we, yeah. wanted, it was a real damn submarine. It was made for down periscope. If you remember that Kelsey Grammer movie, what? Uh, I love, <laughs> yeah. I love down periscope. Oh, yeah. do you have any stories about McKill's Navy? Yeah, it was a, fu- it's, it was like, it's, it's like, I mean, we're doing, you know, Moby Dick. We're like, this is an actual submarine. I mean, it would be the most amazing, you know, asylum movie ever to have an actual submarine set that's really a submarine set, but uh, we couldn't get hold of it because they they didn't they wouldn't rent it to us. They were trying to get rid of it, and we tried to just get it. Like, can we buy it? Can we take it? Can we? Right. Can we live in it? Yeah. Okay. What if we just figure out where to park it for six weeks while we shoot our movie, and then we'll throw it back at you because fuck it. Um, we tried so hard. Is this the suit that that '80s Lego spaceman? <laughs> it kind of does. Based on? Spaceship. Uh, this is also another ski. Uh, it's a wetsuit. That's a wetsuit that they, they repurposed with. They glued some nernies. Is on that it. even a wetsuit? Like old wetsuit helmet? No, no. It's, it's not. No. It's just a. That's got to be a special. That looks like a bunny cheap, suit helmet. As cheap as it gets. I would have given him a backpack. Uh, <laughs> just a, even a small backpack. Yeah, Brian, is that a would have been good? Is that pressure? Pressure uh, suited. It's not pressure sensitive. No, it's pressure just a wetsuit. No. Pressure. Yeah. Pressure. What's the term? Pressure pressurized. pressurized? Okay. Yeah, it's just a wetsuit. But but um, uh, if you it's uh, for one scene, they didn't spend a lot of time on it. <laughs> if you I uh, actually love this like in terms of like moments of like iconography I think this is the cool iconic moment from the movie yeah. is and I would have opened the movie on it that's how much I love this that's is the way that it establishes things visually w- is great yeah it would have been good I just love it a shorthand is you know you see a guy in the forest he's setting up his telescope you play that over your Joan Baez song of choice yeah. and as he sets it up he looks up at the stars he zooms in and this little dot and he zooms in farther and farther 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 the earth boom silent round. no man you gotta start with the snails and the flowers and the painted turtle yeah actually well I mean you could have done both I mean you could have had the credits as yeah. they were and then gone to you know out of the forest you get oh there's a guy in a suit and a forest mm-hmm. and whatever mm-hmm. I mean that actually that's that actually, the earth oh my god it's the earth and Again, who knows? It, yeah. Again, we'll get to the the editorial moment because you never know what an editor can can bring to a movie and what and they you know go into they, his red leader standing by slash that scene from Breaking Bad. Yeah, but <laughs> um, but the again, this is this is I think very much an editorial choice of you know showing his mental state by by cuts. You know that he's he's freaking out because he's you know reliving that wow I did a bad thing and what the hell am I going to do and I'm kind of going stir crazy here and you know that that's done that's done editorially i don't know if that was the way it was directed i think it uh you know the scene might have well just been him driving around and crashing and okay and then the editor said well i tried a thing what do you think of this you know but um anyway the the um it for all we know it was intended that way that it makes perfect sense that, that uh you know that it's the it starts tel- with the telescope the, thing it yeah. starts with the macro lens and then you know a lens and a lens and you know maybe maybe they put it the other way because of a different reason but um it's it's I tend to think it probably wasn't that way. It would have been a nice thing for the editor to think of. I yeah, think that would have been yeah. a great thing to do to kind of to to go from the the macro to sure. the, to the bigger world and say, oh, okay, so it's a forest in space. I get it, and it's all done in 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 visuals. That would have been wait, Paul. What happened sweet. to your friend at, in the nondescript valley building and all that shit? Did they find like bodies? 
Did they find like yeah. a Michael Crichton book found like a Titanic. cloning facility? No, he just nah, he found him. a Titanic. Yeah, he just found a Titanic. No, like yeah. you do. That's not the sort of sentence that often includes the word just. <laughs> just I just found, found a Titanic. I just found the Titanic. Unless like it literally just happened. Having just having just like a couple of months ago shot on the Iowa, which is an older vintage, you know, the Iowa dates from the thirties, I believe. And the, the Valley Forge was, uh, uh Iowa is from world war two. It was in, at the end of world war two. They entered service. I think it was built before world war two though. I no, think it, I no, nope. Iowa glass. It was designed during world war two. There's only four of them. Uh, and they entered service at the very end of world okay. war two. As, as is this, the Valley Forge is an Essex class and it was first commissioned in 45. Okay. It was, you know, yeah. So, so it, this is the aircraft carrier equivalent of the Iowa in terms of post, post Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to need a Navy. 1942. We need a Navy and we need it right quick. So, so the, it's interesting because I guess probably because they, they spruced it up and did added little doodads on it because, because the, the Iowa looks older than that. Iowa is much more steampunk vibe inside than, than these scenes. Yeah, it's an odd shape. Yeah, it's 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 amazely crazy. Y'all inside. look up the USS Iowa on Wiki. It's cool. But it's very and, and if you're in LA, go visit it because now it's an exhibit. Um but uh and a filming location. But um <laughs> the signs. The actual place. The actual place. They <laughs> shot yeah. Yeah. But um it's the actual place where they shot all kinds of stuff. But um on the Iowa, it makes me go. God, we could so just do silent running again. Like right now, we could just get you know go and you know uh, rent the Iowa, play. rent the Iowa, you know, and and because if Asylum shoots there and these low budget companies shoot there, it can't be that much. And uh, build some robots though. Yeah. What's yep. interesting is if you look at the Iowa's history, it's like you know ordered thirty nine, launched forty two, blah 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 blah, commissioned, decommissioned forty nine, and then it's like recommissioned fifty one, decommissioned fifty eight. Yeah, all recommissioned eighty four. Yeah. So like every time we have a war, we go, oh, we need some battleships again. Up, up until the first Gulf War. So the Iowa class is uh, four ships, Iowa, Missouri, uh, New Jersey, and Wisconsin, I believe. And they were basically like they entered service towards the end of World War II, and they were these super massive things. Uh, and it's like, oh. And like the, the thing about naval combat in World War II is like everybody realized, oh, it's not about battleships anymore like it was in World War One. Right. It's now all about the aircraft carriers. So we had these four fucking massive things that like, well, it's all about the airplanes now. Uh, but they they would keep getting retrofitted every, you know, Korea, then Vietnam, then the Gulf War. Uh, so finally, like the Gulf War, the, you know, Missouri and Iowa are launching Tomahawk missiles at Baghdad. Yeah, there's, the, there's still a value to we could pull up alongside your country with some the biggest guns you've ever seen yeah, yeah. <laughs> 45 foot turret guns yeah. yeah yeah and just go hi we're america what's there's, up <laughs> yeah exactly there's if, if you look there's footage of <laughs> yeah like the new jersey or <laughs> the iowa or whatever like firing a full broadside and those are these are massive it knocks the ship, ship off to one side and the, the ship just like slides sideways in the water from the recoil yeah it's like heads up, everybody! We're gonna fire the guns. Oh crap! Yeah, <laughs> that's not good. Attention all hands! Attention all hands! Yeah, grab onto something. I think we're gonna we're, we're gonna see what happens. Holy shit! During a gunnery exercise, this is the Iowa in '89, uh, an explosion ripped through the number two 16-inch yeah. gun turret, killing 47 crewmen. Yeah, the turret exploded. And again, uh, youth, you don't. You, that's why we know the Iowa exists is because of the turret explosion. Oh man, like, you know, no, a big I, big deal. And the turret that that turret is right where I was when I was. That's we shot at that turret, and it's got a little plaque on it going, "Yeah, blew up 47 people." Yes, this one. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> anyway, my point is that here to this day. You know, 40 some years later, we're still going, we could totally do something maybe as cool as silent running uh, <laughs> by using the same technique that they did. So, again, it's, it's you know, just the, the amazing uh, 
again, it's a low, but it was born out of low budget. It's like, we can't build an entire spaceship interior. What are we going to do? But to say, I've got an idea. What if we use an actual thing that has some of the qualities we're looking for? Um, I think if I saw this scene by itself, I would like it an awful lot. In the context of the movie, it's just sort of like a, it's it's what happens between it's a little bit it's filler but yeah. but it's but by itself i i like it a it's lot it's a wonderful little scene it's amazing and uh and the the uh, trumbull mentions in the commentary that the uh the, the reason that that uh, that round pool table has uh such a large lip around it which would kind of sort of block your access to using your cue was because there was going to be a scene of them shooting pool too that the uh the, oh. the droids were going to be perched on top of there and they're going to be like pip 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 they're going to be shooting pool as part of this montage of i'm going crazy and i'm going to you know teach the droids to be my companions anyway so the moment the the editorial moment that i'm talking about um comes up in here where and it's the great moment that everyone remembers where the one droid sh- shows the other one his hand. Like, uh-huh. that the sideways twist of the that's hand. The editor invented that. Oh. That was just the hand flipping and the other one kind of tilted. And, and the editor said, oh, I, I did this where it made it look like he's, he's, like, sh- yeah. he's showing him his hand. And they said, oh, great. And it's, it's one of the most memorable things about it. And Trumbull gives full credit to the editor for just creating that out of bits and pieces. We've talked all around it. We actually haven't addressed... What's going on with the drones? But the drones are people with no legs. Yes. Using their hands for the feet and they're walking around on their hands. Yeah. And that is genius and psychotic and insane and incredibly effective. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. In the, uh, you know, they, they just, just recently, like in the last month or whatever, uh, they, we now have AI that apparently they solve the poker algorithm for AI. So now (laughs) uh, artificial intelligence can beat us at poker. I was like, going to say they've, like got, you know, they've got droids that walk on their hands. Um, <laughs> and now it's interesting as, is again, there was, there was a little bit of making up. There was amazing. There's amazing 30, 45 minute long, um, doc documentary. It's on I saw it on YouTube. It's, you can it's find on, it. And it's on this DVD that I'd never seen before until I got this DVD. Um, that really gets into the making of this thing and all. And, and, and for the first time after 40 years of wondering, I finally got to see what it looks how like. that was done with those people in, in the droid costumes. I keep saying droids when it's drones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but for the long, it, it was known at the time in the little bit of making of information that I was able to get from Starlog magazine or wherever I got it from, where I was like, okay, I understood that they were people with, you know, no legs, but I always thought they were walking, like on your hands, like you would walk on your hands, like you, you know, with your head down. And I'm like, right. how does that, where's that person's head? Like the one has got the box down below. It's got the big, okay. So that's where that person's head is. But where's the other person's head? Cause I thought they were doing it upside down the whole time. Like a gymnast would walk on their hands. Uh-huh. Oh shit. That's what I thought until you just said this. Yeah. That's no, no. They have, oh. it's, it's imagine if you had no pelvis, you right. could walk on your hands and oh. be upright. The, the legs, the feet of the no. drones are on little five inch stilts and they're yeah. holding onto it like a handle and there's feet five inches out of their fists and they're literally just walking on the stilts with their fists, you know, with their torso sitting on the bottom of the drone. Yeah. yeah. Their, their heads are behind that's those where the numerals are. And there's are. a little wheel. That's a, that's a grill and they can see through that and the air comes through that and that's how they can see and breathe. Sometimes there's a little wheel in the center in where the diaper is. And the red one has an extension because each one is built custom for that amputee because they were different body shapes and so yeah. on. So that guy had more of a more of a lower body than yeah. the others. And so that's why he's got that extension down below because they're there's more guy. Their, yeah, they're ducking their head off to their side at the top of the drone is where their head is. Yeah. And... Yeah, walking on little hand stilts, and little, the little, little one, short hand stilts. And the littlest one is a female. Is a yeah, uh, like, they're a, all, they're like, all like a sixteen-year-old yeah. lady. They're all young. They're all no, that's they're all the, uh, the big red one. Teens to twenties. Um, oh, is she the? Is that the girl? The, she's the larger one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Hmm. 
But um, but yeah, that's, that's and there was actually four of them, although there's only three drones because they would switch it up a little bit. But um, that's just so cool. It's yeah, it's a it's a brilliant thing, and uh, you know, just a great a great low budget concept. And yeah. so it's really fascinating the making of watching them do it because they they bring it they come out a little cart and they go okay buddy you know because they gotta like get them right. they don't like make them walk to the trailer <laughs> no one had a trailer there's no trailer they're on an aircraft carrier um <laughs> but uh, walk to the break room or whatever and get you out of that thing you know they, they just put them on a hand cart and wheel them away you know and there's where's like, cheryl oh yeah, shit oh shit <laughs> which as a puppeteer i've had that experience where they forget you're in the thing and they they can go to lunch sometimes um, but uh, <laughs> fall asleep underwater. Yeah, exactly. You fall asleep underwater. No There's a great little moment in there if you watch the making of where where they they finish the setup and and they're taking the the drone actor away and they're like okay bye and the thing gives a little wave with this little leg as it's being wheeled away like Wee, bye. <laughs> yeah. it's like they're just waving bye bye. Well, if they didn't have trailers, at least tell me that Doug got the captain's quarters. I don't, no, he had a little chill. They, they showed I him don't know thing. how it he, he, uh, Because there was nowhere for him to just hang out and collect his goddamn thoughts for a minute, yeah. he just took his director's chair up to the deck and just sat up there and, oh, and, watched, so awesome. and yeah. watched Bruce Dern occasionally like run laps yeah, around and, the aircraft and carrier. And Bruce Dern didn't have a trailer, and he's a runner, so the way he clears his head is he runs, so he just he just would run laps yeah. around the aircraft carrier and like, okay, that's one mile, that's two miles. He said he, that's totaled, miles. He, said he run like, ran like 400 miles over the course of production. Yeah, wow. yeah. On, on the, a boat. On the, on the surface of the aircraft Which carrier. Which may have contributed to him being like way more up and on it for when like for like way more intense than you would be if it was <laughs> yeah. somebody that had just been spending just all of their time hanging out like next to crafty right in, yeah, really. no just in space alone no oh. but I mean, his oh so like the intensity of his performance is a lot like may have a lot to do with fact just endorphins just and <laughs> jogging everywhere now again at the age of 11 it didn't strike me but it didn't take too many years for it to strike you couldn't figure out what the problem was, really. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, the sun, and you're going away from yeah. the sun, and there's less sun. Uh, seriously, yeah. You know, it's like seems like that's kind of an early thing you would think of. Yeah, uh, but has he ever like? Is he remembering running in the forest right now, or is he like imagining what it would have been like if he I, could have? Because if he's never like had first like firsthand experience with what this is supposed to be it might not be so obvious yeah that's the that's the question is like you would think that it, then again it's certainly certainly implied, for us not for him it's certainly so. implied that the world he came from this wouldn't have been possible in his lifetime it's not like they were forests until five days you know two years ago and then they just cut, put a little tiny one on a ship and the rest yeah, are gone we elected now. a new president and that guy hates I always, I always imagined it as you know him like in the perfect world that never existed to him, you know, that, wow, what if, you know, that the, there could be this entire, entire forest that you could run through. But uh, of course there's no such thing anymore. Paul, do you like how this movie handles its theme and its, its message? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, there's, do you like, like how Coca-Cola's Coke. placement, uh, product placement? And Have a Coke, Labs. man. It's Jesus, great. get some caffeine. And Rasputin that's apparently paid for some spot. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Rasputin. It's just like, that's it. Um, I just recently... His box read, is full of like, I don't know, potatoes? I have no idea. Just recently read Charles Mann's uh, book, 1491, which is inspired by an uh, article that he had written for The Atlantic, also called 1491, which just kind of goes over... In 1492, of- The Atlantic would see a different... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Mm. Chris Columbus joke. Uh, Moving on. Yeah, I think that was the whole point of the name of the thing in the first place. Um, uh-huh. Basically saying how like the Western world's understanding of the Americas up until the 15th century or through the 15th century and the time until then is completely like just wrong and 
Just our made-up history class bullshit? Yeah, for, um, like, our idea of American wilderness is a complete myth. Like, that what we had, what the uh, original settlers had seen and thought to have been just, like, wow, look at all this wild everything. Like, everything about... It's just a bunch of backyards. They just landed in the back no, no, of the... No, no, yeah. Sub- everything about the yeah. entire continent was already, like, a meticulously designed, like, kind of garden thing. The... the Preserve. Native, the, um, tens of millions of Native Americans that lived on the continent already... Uh, understood and knew how to essentially garden the land maintain yeah, ecosystems so, so yeah that yeah. like so maintain that idea the, of the ecosystems and being okay well we have to use our weird curse of reason um we're not an evolutionary misstep at as you would think from how uh, we behave now true detective it's just that huh. like spe- like um europeans just have a very specifically imperialist attitude screwed up like misunderstanding of their place in the universe sure like um it gets in the whole thing about how the amazon rainforest is thought at this point to be a completely uh designed human construction huh the amazon rainforest is just um thousands and thousands and thousands of years of everybody being like well this this uh this soil sucks for for um (laughs) this uh, soil would suck for like regular crops but these trees will bear fruit trees for, like another These trees will bear fruit for thirty years, and, and a large portion of the Sahara Desert is the opposite. We, we, we messed up Africa, and like, <laughs> oh, this is just created. Be, yeah, just so the Sahara sand, is like growing like crazy from at now this point. on, I guess. So, so yeah. like, um, also the, the, humans are the reason why there's no large, uh, large uh, animals on the that's native, native that's to um, North America anymore. That's under more. That's we're not really super sure about that because there it would um but it makes the sense. time scale it does but the yeah. time scale for it doesn't yeah. exactly shake out at this point um but like there's a special kind of dirt in the Amazon that uh was engineered like the, huh. the, like uh, old technology is what it it's is. the special dirt that replenishes its own nutrient like profile by itself okay because we've always been human beings basically yeah know, because like, we've always been human beings and yeah. always been able to do the things that we can do yeah um, from day one we've gone okay how do we make sure we have yeah. more food we didn't tomorrow? we didn't go yeah. to the moon but we spent a lot of time messing with dirt yeah. so you know we were, okay, pretty, so, we were, we were so good at dirt back so, to 1491 and the year before we all yeah. showed up sure and silent running and how that all connects um <laughs> bring it home i'm unpacking the forks I'm, yeah. I'm still telling cool anecdotes about how uh so the first um, Europeans that come to America didn't notice uh, millions and millions of buffalo everywhere or um, starling flocks that would block out the sun for 10 hours like you get in the 17th and 18th centuries because once um, disease wiped out the millions and millions and millions and millions of Native Americans who had entire cities and societies and everything um, the continent lost its gardeners huh so everything that you see, like as far as how the ecosystem is described as being wild, yeah, it's just the overgrown is, backyard of what it used to be. <laughs> well, the overgrown you seen it before it all went to shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then there's no the, one. There's no one to keep the population of birds down. There's no one to keep the population of bison down. There's and it no goes such thing as wilderness. Yeah, it was never huh. wilderness. It was never wild. The Great Plains were just burned every year for thousands of years to create appropriate like cattle grounds. Huh. I want to read 1491. Yeah, yeah right. uh, it's it's fat. There's the yeah the big fat book that came. You can read the Atlantic article article, and if you like the Atlantic article, read the book because the book is just more of that. Plus, it gets into a lot of crazy stuff about um, Incan political intrigue and all sorts of good shit there. Well, to you, to bring it back, yeah, bring now we'll now bring it back around. Um, <laughs> do it. You the can thing do it. that he is fighting for here is that same purpose like we are like the stewards of this planet and have to kind of accept that idea that's we're responsible for 
keeping all of this stuff in check and it's survival and uh a lot of the way that our the way that we work now is not to support this kind of stuff that was basically the message that he's going for with the movie is we got to take care of this we have abdicated our duty yeah no and, and that it's not and and yeah. that it's not like a a not the only two options are not the two extremes of oh well we've either got to pave every single square inch or we have to well that's live that's why trees. that's why it's development like of the amazon the, is really 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 weirdly complicated of a situation to be talking about like yeah it's it's yeah. not as simple as like this like those are the woods your <laughs> idea of this as wilderness is a fallacy right and the like so the millions and millions of natives that died like so you have like the only people that were left in the amazon rainforest were tribes that said well shit we need to abandon our cities and run off into the woods and live off of the trees that our ancestors planted hundreds of years ago right so then that becomes the western understanding of the natives were yeah. just these small tribes because of, the entire it, cities were equivalent away. to like the amish the weird hill Amish of <laughs> what they used to be are the ones that we actually got to interact with and talk about and be like, oh, that's the what only, they were. They were the only like the ones natives that, lived. that survived yeah. because they went off to go do this. Right. Because the ones that stayed in the cities <laughs> did not do as well. No. And, yeah. Yeah. It gets into all of why that is too. And yeah. And, that, and that's, that, that's the thing is like our... Because Cortez was a baller. Our understanding <laughs> of, of history is is colored by the stories we're telling ourselves now. And it's like, well, well we have this, like, you know, the, the noble savage fallacy is, is part of it. It's like, Oh, it was peace loving. Uh, and it was like, well, no, they had politics and intrigue, like, and like, beheadings, like Paul just said, you know, they, they were still human beings. They were just, you know, had slightly different culture, uh, cul- uh, you know, different mannerisms or different habits that they built and beheadings. But <laughs> well, yeah. And Europeans if you did, like, your Europeans did some really heinous shit to each other too. Like human beings are really good at be both, at both at being doing really heinous shit to each other and doing yeah. really awesome shit. It's it's yeah. That's uh, it's the that's what makes that's us my special. that's my that's my personal favorite Louis line is where he's like that's where human greatness comes from is that we're shitty people. <laughs> yeah, right. you can you can do anything you can do anything just if you throw don't give human a fuck death and suffering at it until it's finished. You can do anything <laughs> yes. if you don't give a fuck about particular people. <laughs> How do you build those pyramids? How do you cross the continent? Yeah. How do you make these iPhones? We just, people we jump just, off the roof. We just we just throw <laughs> suffering and death at them until it's done. Yeah. So yeah, well. And again, to try and bring it back uh, even further to the to the movie, which is going to end surprisingly soon. Um, Quick, get your C stands out. Yeah, get yeah. your C stands out. And, and, and you again, can still but, see the rental company. Yeah, it's, it's still got the red. And again, Trumbull freely admits that. You're not supposed uh, to touch the bulb. Yeah, don't yeah, touch don't the, don't touch the lamp the like that, man. But uh, yeah, those are right off the grip truck, those C stands. <laughs> um, fantastic. No, they're not C stands, though. They're, uh, they're light stands. No, true. They're, there, there's no, there's no arm on call, them. Yeah. yeah, there's no C stand arm on them. Anyway, the those lids suck so much they'd fall off all the time. <laughs> One of the things that wasn't didn't feel weird for quite some time. By the way, wireless power, so that's cool. Yeah. Sorry. Um one of these things that didn't feel weird for the longest time in this movie is this movie did feed right into the then kind of much more commonplace like they're going to pave the whole planet man they're totally going to pave the whole planet they're not going to be happy till there's not a tree that was something that didn't that didn't feel strange at all at the time and i you know it's like, it like not, a foregone conclusion yeah it's a foregone conclusion that eventually we will just live in yeah. cement and that's be a parking it. lot so planet. so it's it's i will say counter to what i said a little earlier at the time contextually and societally if you were of a you know hippie kind of uh, persuasion 
the idea of, yeah, they took over the forest, man, and they put them in space because they had no four forest was not that much of a stretch. You didn't kind of go, wait, does that make sense? Because, you know, at the time, hey, we're, you know, <laughs> what's, what's the line from, uh, from Apocalypse Now, when when elephants are being killed by flying men, you know what the fuck is going on. Um, <laughs> so it's like, it's like you know, yeah, they're going to totally put the forest in space, man. So then people won't remember what it was like to even have a forest, and then no one will care anymore, man. I mean, you totally bought into that. This, sure. this movie like fed right into that. You're like, okay, I'm I'm with you. Go ahead, tell me the story. Um, so the idea that that you know that that, but wait, couldn't we at least kind of set aside some areas and let them continue to be, you know, like which any normal reasonable person would do. And we always basically actually have done. Yeah. Some sort um, of maybe national park. Yeah. We kind of have that concept, but the, you know, again, it's just, it's the, the idea of, Oh, they're just going to burn all the forest down, man. They pay paradise and put up a parking lot. You know, mm-hmm. there's a song about it. Um, or will be. Was, uh, you see that movie where Michael <laughs> Bay saves the trees. That was, that was Melanie. No, that not Joan Baez, but, uh, the, um, but uh, this idea, so again, it's 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 more of a parable, and again, it's it's the, you know like a cautionary. It's, tale. it's kind of like you know once, but once the world was covered with forests, but then man covered it with cities instead, and there were no forests left, so they put this forest in space. You know, it's like that's kind of the once upon a time right. premise of this movie. Um, but then from there, it tells a a simple yes, but a a uh, you know a fairly interesting story, uh, and a, and a certainly a well a well produced story um, about well. Okay, so now here's a guy, but the, even this guy, as isolated and monkish as he is, kind of needs other people too. But he can't be with the other people anymore. So what's he going to do now? Uh, that's that's the core plot of this. Is like, well, you but you've committed this unredeemable act, even though it was for right. the best possible cause. What what is the ending now? Yeah, and I mean, in my head the whole time, what I thought he was doing. Was he's just like, cool, I hijacked an entirely self-sufficient spaceship thingy and I'm going off of it in space forever. Which I guess was his plan too. Then it's just, you know. Yeah, the, the thruster effect is a little bit weird. Yeah, but... It's I mean, just a little flat looking. It's, it's fine for the... Yeah, good. Because yeah, yeah, you don't the, know how that thruster for the, works. For the era, that's... Uh, that, I mean, Trumbull himself kind of was it mocks the the explosion, which is just literally just, just like a, yeah, a, fading a, flare, a, a flare of light. Yeah, the the explosions are very are Star Trek. However, I will say that I was, I was at the time, totally blown away. Pardon the expression, and still and still again go wow, mad props. Um, this final explosion where a piece of debris goes sailing by, which is like wow, you know, that's just again that level of thought of. You know, that, oh, maybe a chunk flies by camera again. You know, who was doing that level of just like, you know, with the with the chips that are flying out when the when the pod separates? Um, you know, who was like giving these kind of movies that level or even that much thought in terms of what they're putting on screen? I mean, I mean, the, the Nostromo explosion isn't as good as the explosion in this. And that was that was eight years later. The Nostromo explosion is a freaking cartoon. It's terrible. But. Um, you know, so. Props Trumbull, even though you were kind of a dick that day. Oh, uh, he's pleasant the time that um, he was around. Did you I, meet him? Um, you were in his vicinity. Sort of. Yeah, um, I worked on this movie, and he was a character in the movie. Um, huh. So then he came kind of as like a ha ha. I'm in this movie, and I'm also in real life. <laughs> um, but the in the movie, it was the 
the guy it was playing Doug Trouble, but the visual effects supervisor of the movie was playing Doug Trouble in <laughs> wow. the movie. <laughs> so it was kind of like Jim Lovell showing up at the end of Apollo thirteen. Um, thing. It was like a autobiographical movie, and there was like, uh, um, but yes, he was there, and he was super gracious. He was chill. He was great. To, it was neat having him there. But I, I was kind of like way too nervous to run up and be like, "Hey, hey, how you doing? Thanks for everything." Uh, <laughs> bye thanks for making the industry i work in now. also i hadn't seen close encounters yet so i just didn't want to <laughs> that's wanna probably good like if you were saddled with like the full context of who you were talking to that might just stand as an impediment to the conversation yeah you know like, that's like, one of the that's one of the only things i can say that's good about what i was able to do as a person who was sitting next to george takei and billy west and shit was like i really didn't know like like no george takei is a very like serious thing that's going on here like you haven't seen star trek yet but jesus christ i was just like fun old guys yeah this is fun yeah i mean i, I stood up and cheers <laughs> for the cheers and right yelled yeah. and was gracious it was good and after boom after all of this total 70s ending man total downer 70s ending yes <laughs> best movie best movie era ever yeah man every movie had a downer ending yeah <laughs> all right, so we'll wrap them up and Star cue, Wars cue messed bias. all that up. Yeah, cue to bias. Cue to bias. <laughs> Throw to bias. But this had, but this had its little, its little coda to it. Um, one of the, one of the final, final ideas is the adorable watering can. Yes, the adorable watering can. It's just like, just like this little childlike thing. Um, one of the things that Bruce Dern talks about is a couple of years, some, some years later, he did a, uh, he did a miniseries for TV called Space. Um, I sort of kind of remember that existing. I don't even remember what it was about other than space. But, um, but as he, as he, as he likes to, he says in the commentary for this movie that some, there were, there were actual NASA astronaut advisors for that series, um, who, and whatever, you know, he would talk to those guys. Um, and he says, those are guys, these are guys who went, her name actually was Cheryl. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, recall, I recalled that. That's yeah. <laughs> these are guys who went to the moon and all they wanted to talk to me about was silent running. Huh. Uh, and so so you know he was just talking about how yeah you know for whatever reason this this little wacky little movie it it has an amazing you know if you're not aware of like the that this is the stone from which many ripples have spread out the velvet underground i'm saying yeah it's it it very much is and uh, that's if nothing else you don't have to love the movie but uh, like i said you got to show some respect for, for what's going on here in 1970. This in Night of the Hunter. Of all the movies where it's like, I would never have thought to show someone that movie. It's like, yeah, but you know, like 40 different movies were inspired by this movie. It's like, huh, really? Cool. But yeah, that, this is fun. I'm glad I I'm glad I saw this. John Dykstra. Richard, you could yeah. Don Trumbull. Don Trumbull, that's his dad. That's Doug, that's Doug Trumbull's dad. Who worked, Doug, Don Trumbull. Here's the through line. Don Trumbull was one of the goddamn apple trees in Wizard of Oz. Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what he says in the commentary. His dad used to do like visual effects and special effects at that level. Yeah. Then got out of it, became an engineer. Then because his son was movie crazy, he, he got back into it. But his son grew up essentially in a machine shop. Yeah. So he knew how to use everything. Yeah. So it's kind of like his, his son had the engineering, but also got the movie bug. A really tremendous biopic could be made about these trumbles. Yeah. The trumbles. I can give you the trailer right now. Called it the- opens on sparks. <laughs> Good. The trouble with trumbles. <laughs> wah, wah. Which yeah. I like to think, I like to hope that that, that famous clip that I've talked about before, where the, the guy who shot 
the jitterbug, whoever shot the jitterbug number from the side when they were shooting the jitterbug number, which now no longer exists. We only have the home movie footage of it being shot. And there's, you see the guy in the apple tree from the back. Yeah. Who's like, who's waving, like fucking, who's like, looks days. out at the camera that's shooting this documentary thing and kind of goes, like, what the eh, hell are we doing today? Eh, you yeah. Know? And then you want to go, dude, you're in the Wizard of Oz. Buck up. But um, you don't realize it, but you're in the Wizard of Oz and yeah. it's, it's an important film. Um, Put I like, your pants I, up. This I, is serious. Yeah, really. I, I hope that that's Don Trumbull. I like to tell myself that that guy was Don Trumbull. It may not be. But but, but as far as um, Moon Guys wanting to talk about Silent Running, I was listening to an interview with Ricky Jay earlier today. <laughs> nice. Where he was talking about how, um, well, yeah, well, this, this deception is actually like a really big part of keeping the like momentum going on human accomplishment. Because um, <laughs> some of the first uh, like automata chess machines where it was just oh, a yeah. little person because they get back to little people in boxes yeah it was just a little person in a box just hiding in the table just hiding in the table playing like lighting up the chess moves that right. like the thing should do um inspired one of yeah. the first guys who ever like designed the very first counting machine because he went <laughs> yeah. like well shit if a robot can play chess already yeah then i should be Surely able to design a right. counting he machine. assumed it was a given that it was possible he just had to yeah. figure out how it's the, and it's like it wasn't actually possible that was a trick in the first place the good the good too late hunting. i invented calculators <laughs> fuck you <laughs> the goodwill hunting move like Look, it's I wrote, insoluble well, I, wrote I, boobies. I wrote boobies on this thing it's, yeah. it's the new technology <laughs> of the yeah. day oh wow well, this in airplanes is Aren't I embarrassed now? Yeah. yeah Fooled me, I guess. <laughs> My boobies writing machine, the patent expires and yeah. Well, you get the thinkers and the showmen to think up what should be possible and then get the engineering people to go it's make like it happen. the opposite of a shark brain. Anyway, this movie, yeah, I'm glad I saw it and uh, all the stuff I already said. Brian. Yes. Summarize your experience with Ni- uh, Night of the Hunter. Just Night do it. Do it. Summarize your experience. No. Uh, silent Running. Um, I don't think I will be going back to it. Yeah. I mean. I'm probably on that same page. I, I, I really just kind of want to say, like, the model is fucking gorgeous. Like, can I just gush about the model for, like, five minutes? Yeah. In terms of, you know, because I'm, as as you should know by now, I'm a sucker for just any movie with people on a spaceship. And the more that it's just like, hey, it's just fucking people living on a spaceship, I am all about. Uh, so there's, there is, you know, some, well, this is a little early 70s and it's tough to get past that part. But for the most part, it's just a dude on a spaceship, which... I could just have on in the background forever. <laughs> spaceship! Spaceship! Palu! You guys gotta just like chill your brains and just go back to... Just watch a bunch of movies from this time period and you'll well, be Well, see, I think I you. do. I, I don't know. I, I don't... I, I like... You know, Trey talks about, yeah, every movie had a downer ending. I'm, uh, I'm, I love a good downer ending. How do you guys feel about The Man of All the Earth? Uh, I still I haven't, seen I haven't seen that it's one. On my, it's on my to-do oh, list. Who are one. you? Uh, yeah, I haven't seen <laughs> it. Uh, but... There, I do. I think I do have a tough time with the a lack of structure in some seventies movies. Like you mentioned, like there Easy is a structure. It's it's not that there's a lack of structure. Uh, okay, it's fine. very much. Okay, that fine. It's just my problem is with the particular structure of this period of movies. Whatever it is, I have a I have a little difficulty connecting with it. We mentioned Easy Rider earlier. I watched Easy Rider a few years ago in terms of like, oh, this is an important film. I should yeah. sit down and watch. Now that's this. unwatchable. And yeah, you got you got to be like super super high for it though. Yeah. It's not yeah. Yeah. Easy Rider is just yeah. Yeah, I am totally not, I am not on the '60s era acid that I needed to be to watch that movie. Clearly, anyway. Uh, so but I, you can you can read Shakespeare though, right? I'm, I'm, this is an extreme example, but like when you first like when you sit down with Shakespeare, it's just like well, it's this a, is yeah, this impenetrable. Is this yeah. is impenetrable. This isn't um, nothing about this is well. Shakespeare is impenetrable for the uninitiated because of of the the because it's poetry. It's literally poetry. Hi. Well, this is there's 
this is that but visually Ooh. as well as like this is the same thing like Ooh. any any piece of art from Paul, outside bringing of, it with it wow any nice. okay any piece of artwork from outside of your like limited experience as a person being alive and being exposed sure. to things made in your lifetime is following is going rules to have and that you don't know the rules following rules that you need to acclimate yourself That's right. you listen to eskimo music you go what the hell are they doing <laughs> it's just yeah. it's yeah it's all it's, the, it's all the same patterns it's all this like it's you yeah. just need to like sounds like a bunch of noise you just need to learn to the little tricks of that language because it's a language then, that evolves over time. You get tricked with movies because you, just you, the you watch a lot of movies yeah. and right. you see that you see the shorthand, but you don't understand that that shorthand changes over time. Like then you go I, back and you watch silent films the, and you yeah. start to you go watch well, a code yeah. movie and you're and like, oh, that is some dirty shit. That is some dirty, like hmm. tricky, like surprise shit that was placed in there for an audience that was used to seeing code movie, like movies produced under the sure. uh, under no, the, the code, under the Hayes code, and they're like. So you would get like tons, like there's tons of stuff in those movies that you, uh, it's completely, we're completely blind to at this point. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. It's all just about learning. It's also great, the same thing with Shakespeare. There's a shit ton of references in Shakespeare that we don't get. Or in Dante, Dante was famous for putting, you know, digs at like popes and cardinals he didn't like in, yeah. in Sistine Chapel. And, and, and that's why I need that to learn a lot more about, um, Oregon? fascism and, oh, uh, was close. and Italy before I watched Sallow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, or the bicycle. Well, that's what I. I mean, that's why I say like I need to see more of these movies, is because I'm with Brian, where it's like for the most part, unless they happen to be very watchable, still by accident, I guess, or by circumstance, I I have a harder time with older movies, and then that's why I tend to like the ones that I can get on board with, and that's like for instance, that's why if anyone is like nodding, like yeah, I I, I'm feeling the same way, and you haven't seen Citizen Kane, watch Citizen Kane. It's oddly modern, and that's one of the reasons that I like it so much. And that's the thing. It's like you can, Casablanca you is it. the same way. Like Casablanca feels like a still yeah. a really incredibly modern film. But I haven't, I haven't like pacing. worked out that muscle yet for yeah. for the older context. Anyway, Paulu, you were summarizing. Yeah, but that's just that. That will be my summary. Is that the, the lesson is to like okay. learn the manage your goddamn gardens <laughs> and manage your and, gardens and and teach your children well. Um, Trey. And again, I, I, I'm actually... This was a fun commentary. Thank you for curating I'm, That I'm somewhat to the right of Paulu in this case, but then I'm like, well, this movie's not that great. But, <laughs> but in a sense, I'm like, yes, there's a level of, yes, you have to put yourself in a, this is a pre-MTV movie, less like any other movie you might see that, that you know, it's just from a different media consumption era. Um, but there's also parts of this movie that I think just, you know, hey, the guy didn't quite know what he was doing as a filmmaker. Oh, you know, absolutely. Um, yeah. you know, so, but at the same time, it's kind of like, it's it's it, just like with Star Wars, just like with it, a lot of those other things. Again, if if I can't give you the context of you know, again, try and imagine. I mean, I just the mindset it, when it yeah, happens. just try and imagine like the eleven year old you in a I, world. I spend most with, of my time desperately trying to imagine a world in which Star Wars doesn't exist. Yeah. So it's really easy. Yeah, there for you me. go. So yeah, it's a few, <laughs> so it's you're well practiced. So you know, but the idea is like, what is you know, what is the like if there was a genre that you know like. If, like for Brian, it's people on a spaceship. Well, imagine no one had ever made a person on a spaceship movie ever, and then suddenly there was gravity. One. Yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. Ele- you know, like we went from zero to gravity, and and yeah, sure, and you were 11 years old when that happened. Yeah. You know, and that's it, totally fair. Yeah, it's like you know that later on when some young punk was going, well, you know, she's a little. I don't like that she's you know. Shut up, man! It's gravity. Um, and I, even I'm not going to defend them, this movie on that level, but. You know, but some somewhere I'm somewhere in between. It's like, yeah, I, I think it doesn't have to be Star Wars with like, oh, okay, black hat, white hat, you get a medal at the end, yay, crowd cheers, blackout. Um, and I, you know, and I, I do love me a good downer ending. And this movie is one of the ones that made me kind of go. <laughs> sometimes you earn your out. You know, you if a movie earns its downer ending, and this movie doesn't really have a downer ending like some movies sure, have. Sure. Like, goddamn, you know, look at some other movies. 
Um, but uh, but this movie has like it has the right ending. It has the appropriate ending for the story that it tells, which is about a guy who commits an irredeemable act, but finds some way to create a redemption like, yeah, from it sure. ultimately after all repent um, for it somehow kind exactly. of exactly and and so you know that's the story of it and and yes there it meanders a little bit and it's slower but all <laughs> movies from this era are slower than than we're used to nowadays pretty much almost exclusively um and it's it's so much more amazing for what this movie is for basically being this like i said the, it's exactly the same provenance as an asylum film and yet it's this instead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's an asylum film with a bigger budget, but, uh, you know, and a million dollars in 1970 was like pretty surprising. with amazing budget. Um, but still, even for then movies at the time, that's a low budget. And, and for this kind of movie, like we're going to do a space movie with spaceships and stuff for a million dollars. It's, it was crazy then. So, so the, I, I, I can't separate myself from the fact that, the story grabs me and grabbed me like like crazy when I was eleven yeah. years old. Yeah, you know the idea of like, oh my god! And then he blew himself up with a droid, but the other droid got away with the forest. That's that's so great, you know. And, <laughs> and that that image of you know, it's like I just that image of the dome sailing off into space is something that's deep, deep, deep into my media consumption soul. And I, you know, it's like, I, it's like the the hindbrain of your media. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, like, and it's I would like love to, nerve. I would love to someday create some movie that has. You know, an ending like whammy gut punch. Right. Yeah. Find your car in the parking lot, folks. Good night. You know, yeah. that, that, that that matches that in terms of like, that was our story. The bicycle thief. Yes. In space. In space. Um, so, so I think it's, like I said, it's, uh, you don't have to love it. That's, that's okay. I mean, it's, it's like, it's not Jaws in a way that Jaws is, you know, totally enjoyable nowadays because Jaws is, is a much yeah, it's more, the template is a, on which is we a all, template yeah, of, sure. of modern movie making. Um, in a way that this isn't, um, but it's you know it's it's f- coming from an era and from a filmmaker who didn't have any sort of like oh I know how to make a film I went to school for it and everything this is just a guy feeling his way through here's a story I thought of yeah and and got some writers who were writers um, to kind of flesh it out and do things with it and then kind of well here's what we ended up with everybody hope you like it um, it's an amazing bit of alchemy and and if nothing else from a film student point of view sure should be looked at yeah it's a good point on the art stick this has been what are you doing movie you can always find more episodes at friendsinyourhead.com subscribe to us on itunes get a brand new episode of some shit every single week twitter.com slash friends in head you are facebook.com slash friends in your head and friends in your head at gmail.com go to the forum it's a wonderful community of people and it's growing every single week that's where we where, where we know paulu from and now he's on the show. Think of the possibilities. Get on the goddamn forum. Could be you. Yeah, you can buy one of our shirts. It won't be, but They're, it could. We have very <laughs> fine shirts. And like we still have Tokes and Stokes shirts for, for sale. If anyone wants one, it's a cool logo, guys. The show is fine. Just go buy shirts. And uh, yeah, you can also just give us money. There's PayPal button. We're not asking where to send. And as always, michaelscottfund.com. Please throw the man some shekels. His life got expensive recently. And until next, uh, Holton Hill, designed and maintained the website, and said some weird shit about your mom. And until next time, my name is Steve Christie. John Baez. And this has been What Are You Doing Everything About the Good Night? Good Night! Oh, God, not again. Explosion. No, I kept cracking <laughs> up when you were talking about the dark ending shit, and I just had this really weird, it doesn't make sense, it's just the visual it had, because Paul, someone was, you're talking about the end of Star Wars, and then somebody with the Chewie sound, and you're talking about dark endings, out of left field and shit, and I was just imagining, like, what would Star Wars be with a dark ending? And I didn't go to, like, oh, he misses in the Death Star, and it's fine, like, the Death Star just continues on its thing and it whatever i i went with they 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 destroy the death star but then at the end when they're getting their medals just 
a sniper off screen just shoots Chewbacca. <laughs> that would be and so, if he crumples that and would then be so seventies. That would be so seventies. <laughs> Collapses in a heap. That would be, a, that would be the seventies. Like inexplicably movie. kills Chewbacca and then credits. <laughs> but, but still, same shot. Yeah. But still, but still the same fanfare. Exactly. And everyone just sitting there stunned, like what just happened? Like a shot rang out. Hell just happened. I just like every time I pictured that, it's just fucking batshit, and I just kept laughing. Sorry. That's funny. I I um, <laughs> I was I was when you were I, when you were getting ready to, to pitch your mm. your seventies ending for Star Wars, which is a funny <laughs> contradiction in terms. Anyway, but um, I thought of what I thought of was like, well, it, they blow up the Death Star, but Luke has to kamikaze to make it happen, oh. and then the medal ceremony is the end. Is like, well, Han, I guess you get a medal, and this is kind of bittersweet. Well, we, and then they shot Chewie, but we won, I guess, <laughs> yeah. right? But still, there was a heavy price to pay, everybody, oh. and. Okay, and uh, that's heavy, man. That would have been, and that, and that would have probably like killed any possible sequels. And then Paulie would have been living in a better universe to his liking at that ah. point. That they were just oh. in the one Star Wars movie, and and Luke Skywalker dies because that's hey, what that's how life works, man. Yeah, you want to be a hero? What do you think you're gonna do? Like keep surviving? That's not how that works. So, <laughs> yeah, man. Huh. Star Wars for the seventies <laughs> ending. We just totally saved Star Chewbacca Wars. To- <laughs> right. And it's just like like Han's startled reaction like fucking Jackie Kennedy in the credits. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Trying to scoop up the brain and fur. Oh, oh man. Oh. Now who's being dark? Uh. Friendsinyourhead.com. <laughs>